Hello. This is episode 10 of the podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Dane. The Awakening. There's been a psychic shift in the minds of young men. Six months ago, I noticed this shift. The pills we consumed previously black were spat up and refused. White pills were taken and hope was given. We saw the future not for what it was, but rather what it could be. By our own hands and minds, we could forge our future anew. We began to taste something long since taken from us. Momentum and ascension, a fresh breed of content creators began to sprout up like flowers in a field of weeds. Collaboration and communication was initiated. Men began to trade nihilism for faith, weakness for strength, apathy for potency. And suddenly we were all here for a reason. Our mission became clear. We found our path to ascension and we understood the power of walking this path, not alone, but together. This was only the beginning. What we do today will echo in space and time forever. The story is ours to write. Uprightness. We are men among the ruins. Our faces are covered with the ashes of lost tradition. We choke upon the soot of postmodernism. Adulthood was spent mostly gasping and clawing for fresh air and sunlight, but with hammers, work was done upon our ankles and knees. Sand was tossed into our eyes. Our hands, which once built great empires and slew evils, have now grown uncalloused. We've been distracted by flesh screens and pseudo-stimulation. Until now, we have all been but blinded, confused, and immobilized. We can see where we stand now. We stand among the ruins, but upon these ruins, we can see a new dawn arise. This is our curse, but this is our gift also. With a burden so heavy to bear, how are we to stand? No. How are we not to stand? You will rise upright. Your knees will wobble and your back will ache. You will see the rosy-fingered dawn upon the ruins and weep with hope. We are men among the ruins. Those were the words of the content creator who has been very clearly at the forefront of what many could call the solar sphere, one of the wings of the renaissance of men, one of the many, but the most prominent man who has coined the phrase the age of heroes, what I would call the end of postmodernism. If you know anything about this sphere, you know this content creator. He's a drill sergeant. He's a proud American. He's a leader of the solar movement. His name is Forrest Munden, and I'm very happy to have him on this podcast. Forrest, how are you? Hey, man. I appreciate you bringing me on the podcast. I've actually been eyeing your podcast for how many months have you had it up now? I mean, more than a month, that's for sure. Uh, about two. But we're coming up on two months now. Uh, I saw your... Uh, I don't remember how exactly we met on Instagram, but your content caught my eye through the aesthetic of it. And most, most of all, the name. And from there, 
there, it kind of just, uh, we realized that our ideas aligned and, um, I feel like after we talked about how we both detected this movement around the same time, I was like, dude, I need to come on blood and rains podcast. Cause a lot of you guys who listen to my podcast, you know, that I don't really have guests on mine too often. I kind of just talk solo for 15 to 20 minutes at a time. What I actually prefer to do is come on, uh, other people's podcasts like Arthur's and speak to them on that platform. It does a few things. One, I get to know the content creators that are within the sphere. And second of all, it does them a lot of good because, you know, since I'm not collaborating with a lot of other uh, content creators on my podcast, to come on theirs, it does, it, it gives them a lot more reach and uh, gives them a lot of new followers. So nonetheless, man, I definitely appreciate your, you sending the uh, invite for me to come on your podcast. And I think this is going to be a really good one for your audience. And also, we have a lot of the same followers, so I'm sure they're excited to hear that also. Absolutely, man. First of all, the honor is all mine. Thank you uh, for accepting the invite. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it all, as, as a lot of us are saying, you, myself, you know, Flow Modus, Letters, People of the Fields, you know, there's, there's like 30 names now, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's, I can't even keep track of them anymore at this point, to be honest. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the goal. There should be, there should be hundreds and hundreds like, oh, that guy, oh, that guy, the two, oh, that guy's over in Croatia, that guy's over in Russia. That's kind of the goal. We want this to be worldwide. So it's a good sign to say the least. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, definitely. So a bit of background in terms of how I found your page, uh, the blood and rain page. Um, it came from the poem that I wrote that I talked about in the first episode back in 2018 when I had the first page. Um, and the other, the only other page that was sort of adjacent to ours, and it's one that you're familiar with, I'm, I'm sure, um, was the invincible way. Yes. Um, and that guy, if anyone knows, the Invincible Way is the greatest hit and run content creator. He'll just like, he'll just sort of give out this 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 fire hose of information that comes completely out of left field and blows people's minds and then disappears for a couple months. Yeah, he's gone for like three months. Yeah, and then he'll say, "So don't worry, guys, I'm back, I'm back," and he gives all this info and then he dips again. It's hilarious. Um, but yeah, back then it was all it was just like some stoic philosophy pages, maybe some you know. For all you guys who can't get laid, here's the red pill pages, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's about three years ago now. And, you know, I, I, I've discussed this on the podcast. Anyone who's been consistent in listening knows I went through some pretty interesting physical and spiritual tragedy. And then I eventually came, it got to the point where I came back to doing Blood and Rain. And um, so like, well, where's a good place to start for this, this page? And I, I sort of looked at the people, not that followed Invincible, but the people Invincible followed because... You know, I, I measure a vote of confidence from him pretty highly. And then I saw I saw your page, and I was like, all right, this guy's putting out some interesting content. So you were one of the first people I followed on the uh, the second the second iteration of Blood and Rain that's out now and the one that's here to stay. And the amount of content you're putting out, it wasn't just... I don't want to say that I'm sort of tired with the whole red pill thing, because we've, we've obviously moved on from the red pill into the black pill and now into the white pill, as you said in your pieces. Yeah. Um, but I felt like a lot of sort of, when I initially came across the red pill, it just became sort of obvious to me. Like it wasn't this big revelation because it was stuff that I already sort of inherently knew through trial and error and experience, but your content was going beyond it. And that's what fascinated me. And that's when I said, okay, maybe there's a lot more content creators like invisible out invincible out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's actually a really good point. If you don't mind me 
hitting on that real quick is that so yeah red pill is for those of you guys who don't know which i'm sure your audience knows but to summarize it's basically the red pill which is the cold hard truth and the, the and then the blood or blue pill blood pill the blue pill is basically like you're living in this fantasy world and you don't want to know the truth because the truth is painful so the red pill you know it's great it, it set me off on the right foot it helped me a lot with dating and women and the world and all that stuff like that. But the problem is, is that most people, including myself at one point in time, we take that red pill and we don't know how to properly ingest it. And then it turns black. And a lot of us don't know. And, okay, I got to explain this. The black pill is nihilism, <laughs> doom, despair. And then, so you're, you're stuck with this black pill, right? Because you don't know how to move forward past the red from the black. And then eventually we can properly move into the white pill, which is hope for the future, for yourself, it's development, it's kind of like the solar ideal, which we'll talk about, which is the solar pill, and all sorts of stuff, all sorts of philosophies, but what I noticed in the community is that we were post-red pill, but we were stuck in the black, and it seemed like it really wasn't going anywhere, so I kind of tried to maneuver myself forward into this, uh, dude, I was, you didn't really follow me during this time, because it was a few years ago, but I was heavily black-pilled, I was black-pilling my audience, and at a certain point in time, I just had to ask myself, why am I doing this? Like, why am I blackpilling my audience? I want my audience to come into my content and feel motivated and inspired. I want to instill discipline and I want to share new ideas. And um, uh, the Invincible Way, him and I kind of came up at the same time. And then we kind of uh, both came to this. I've known him for years, man. And he was actually one of my first guests on my podcast. And we both kind of came to the conclusion that red pilling is it's fine but it's oversaturated market and black pilling it's doomer and to a certain extent you need the black pill but we wanted to create more white pill content this is when you started to see more people this is kind of a history lesson of the sphere but this is when you started to see more people like us within the last six months to a year spring up sobra perfect example of somebody who embraces the white pill invincible way you know white pilling my content you and uh and flow modus and nature pilled and all these other guys white pilled content creators so it's really good to have podcasts like this where we can share ideas and ideals and go from there but yeah uh definitely something worth noting was the uh the change of attitude in our community yeah with it without a single shadow of a doubt that's and i think i think the history lesson is important because you know some people are going to come into this so you know some people could stumble upon this having been blue pilled like where they're at right now they could like today still be blue pilled see all this and be like what the fuck happened um and so especially myself coming back to it um because my my black pill hit me pretty hard um and i had a bunch of things happen at once that knocked me off course and so i wasn't i wasn't really content creating the, the original blood and rain page turned into a personal page you know me posting pictures of me with my loved ones you know it was i got off my own path the path i called blood and rain but yeah, coming back to it was refreshing. Coming back to it was uplifting. And you know, it's funny. It's like I came back around the same time that you and Solbra and, you know, rose to prominence. And I noticed that when I came back, Invincible was less black-pilled. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was. And, you know, like he used to have some, like, cold, cold, cold hard truth, like, undeniable cold hard truth black belt content. I was like, well, <laughs> fuck. Like, <laughs> And is yeah, there's a certain brand of his that's pretty like it's. I don't want to say it's petty, but it's just so witty and from left field that you can't do shit about it to negate it, um, which is hilarious. 
But um, but yeah. So when what was what was that transition for you? Can you describe your transition and getting going from black pill to white pill? Can you describe sort of your thought process? Was it a day? Was it a moment? Was it several weeks? Was it a month in which you realized that you didn't want people feeling black pilled with your content? but you wanted them feeling uplifted and motivated and that maybe just maybe there's, there's a brighter future that we can all forge if we're careful and we're precise. Yeah. I don't know if there was actually, maybe I do. Hmm, this is something I really haven't thought about too much because it's not, I, maybe I have talked about it in the past, but it was more of like, it's a cycle, right? Self-development is a cycle. It's cyclic. So you, it's like, Kind of the hero's journey. If anyone's familiar with Joseph Campbell's work, you mm-hmm. start off as like this character within this uh, known world. You're comfortable and, you know, you're within the confines of your world. You're within the conscious world. But eventually you get tossed out of that or you leave it voluntarily or whatever. And for me, the turning point in my life was when I broke up in my pot. My my audience has heard this a thousand times. So like, shut up. You know, <laughs> they've heard this so many times. But I was with a woman for many years, right? Yeah. Three years, four years, long-term relationship. And then eventually we broke up. I was left in this house by myself. And I was like, God, I've never been alone before. I mean, I've always been in the barracks. I've always been around other soldiers. I've always been around other people. I've never not had a roommate. All of a sudden I was alone. And I got super black-pilled. I got super nihilistic. I fell into despair. Um, I contemplated my life. I black-pilled myself. Like, I had no idea why I was here, where I was going. Why do I exist? Why am I human? Why am I feeling these things? You know, and I felt like an accident. To, so to answer your question, on top of all this nihilism and despair, I realized that ultimately I came to this conclusion from mythology, from religion, and a lot of Christians and Catholics and all, all this stuff saying, like, no shit. But you got to remember, I came from an atheist background. <laughs> that I'm not an accident, that I'm here for a reason, I'm here for a purpose, and that I have a, a duty to fulfill to not only myself, but to those around me. I have a mission, I'm here for a reason. And mythology helped me understand that. Joseph Campbell's work on mythology helped me understand that I have a job that I need to do as a human, as a man, that I am almost prophetic in nature that I have a story to write. That's what I always tell my audience, that we have a story to write. I am, as I live, writing my own story. I'm writing my own mythology, you know, on top of the other ones that I follow. So it became a certain point in time when I realized that, you know, this uh, sphere that we're currently all in, or we're in, uh, what that we're all in, which is black-pilled, nihilistic, doomer, you know, you can't go on Telegram without seeing, you know, this and that. I, I don't want to go too far into it because, you know, it's, it's pretty bad, but if any of you guys spend time on Telegram, you'll know that you just get blackpilled every time you're on there. And I just realized this isn't doing us any good. The only way we can do any good at all is if, first of all, we start by changing ourselves on an individual level, and we start and we spread out from there. So by making ourselves a better person, by starting to realize that first change comes not from the physical sphere, but rather from the mental and spiritual, that we can make a difference from that very beginning. So the turning point for me was realizing that nobody's going to save me. Nobody. Nobody's going to save me. Not not the divine, not my parents, not my, you know, my girlfriend at the time, not my brother, not my sister, not the pope. Nobody is going to save me but myself. And that gives you a, a strong sense of freedom to know that you are the only one who can save you. And from there, my content creation kind of spread out to wanting to spread that idea and 
deal. But ultimately, man, it came from realizing that I was here for a reason. And God, there is some power in that thought, knowing that you were placed on this earth for a reason. And then let's say, you know, to... To, to play devil's advocate here, let's say I am just an accident and I am just a combination of atoms and I, I am purely here for no reason at all, then, then F it. You know what I mean? I might as well live my life as though I am here for a reason. So it's a win-win either way, but ultimately I realized that I was here for a reason. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's a message and a testimony that anyone can resonate with across faith. That's one of the things I like about that testimony. Especially, so I mean, I'm an Orthodox Christian. I do believe in the divine. You know, I'm. There's things about Revelation, and there's there's, the Book of Revelation is suspect if you study the history. But that's not the point because I'm only saying that to touch on that briefly in terms of the time being cyclic in nature. But I know that a lot of Norse pagans and many other types of pagans alike, they believe in time being cyclic. And another, there are plenty of other belief systems that believe the same thing: Hinduism, Buddhism, but. For me, even as an Orthodox Christian who does have that sort of, you know, this salvation looming, there's always this salvation looming, being of the original Christian faith, that being said, if you meet any grounded Orthodox Christian, any Orthodox Christian who's a well-rounded person, and this is, these are the people I was rubbing shoulders with my introduction in that church, their actions reflected that no one was going to save them, that they were also the first mover in their day-to-day actions, and then anything God wanted to tell them, they would know through prayer and through staying connected. But they weren't going to get to the extreme that I've seen with a lot of sort of Pentecostal and evangelical Christians where they're like, I don't know what to do because God hasn't told me. It's like, dude, it's not, it's, you're, you're, you're it's not, not going to, God works. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you're not going to get a direct message in every single little thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I've, I've seen various Christians just spend years of their lives in these head trips. So, I think that's a message that pagan, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, Zoroastrian, you name it, is a message that a bunch of people, especially in this sphere, can resonate with. And it's, it, it is almost this breaking point. I had a very similar thing. I was so far down the black pill, and I had like a, a couple of sort of uh, reprieves where it looked like things were going up, and then it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And it got to a point where I was like, okay, something's got to give. And I, I sort of just came to the point of the white pills. Like, okay, so, something has to give. It just, it, it makes no sense for this to be consistently getting worse and worse and worse and worse, even if it isn't in my own agency. So especially with all the COVID-1984 nonsense that's happening in the world right now that's ruining people's lives, especially here in our state with Gavin Newsom's reign of terror. Oh, it's horrible, yeah. Oh, it's just, you, you, you want to smack that guy in the face so hard with this stupid <laughs> slicked hair, like, ugh. Um, it's yeah, it's just like what you know. What's what's in that hair? It's just you're you're enough of a slime ball. It really makes me question. It's, it's like vegetable oil in the hair, but yeah, yeah, he's he's pretty bad, man. I I always forget that we're in the same state. And we're dealing with the same stuff, but anyways, didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Oh no, not not at all. I mean, yeah. So SoCal and NorCal might as well be two different states, but yeah, we're st- we still have the same asinine dictator that we're living with yeah. right now. And, you know, if we, we throw in seed oils and vegetable oil on his hair, you know, we'll get soul bra and all this, you know, all of his dis- Lambro disciples on this podcast too, listening, you know. Yeah. Uh, we could just, yeah. we could just target him by adjacently and they'll come to our aid. It'd be great. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think, you know, 
you like like I said, you were you were on the forefront too. You were you were you're doing your account three years ago, um, but also going back in this sort of history lesson too. I always I always like to get background on all the content creators. Like in terms of your background, I, what I'd like to know is what ideals were you raised with. Um, I saw a picture a while back you posted of I think your great grandfather serving in the Civil War. So basically, the the questions I have of your background were. What sort of ideals were you raised with? Why did you feel called to go into the military? And I know you had a meme page account that was very popular. Oh, yes. Um, but what, what made you have the transition from the Salty Soldier to Munden Forest, your, your Instagram account, to posting the content that you've mentioned you felt very alone in initially? So I'd like to know more about that progression, and I'm sure a lot of the people in this sphere would like to know as well. Yeah, let me give you guys some background. It's a weird, weird story. So, uh... So I was born in 1993. No, <laughs> just start giving me like a detailed breakdown over you. No, let me start at like the meat and potatoes of it. All right. So you guys, a lot of you guys don't know, but I've been actually a content creator for, I want to say since 2014. Okay. So I've been creating content on the internet for a very long time. Actually, it's 15. And I was creating memes. I was creating jokes about the military. I was in the military on active duty for about four years. I recently transitioned over to reserve status which I love it's awesome um, but you know I, I I wanted to join the military my entire life it was like one of my dreams and I believe that as a child as a kid we're often called to things and we have certain passions for certain things that you should follow right so that was uh, that was one of my great first awakenings as a kid was realizing that I wanted to be in the military and I think what attracted me to that you know, that space of being in the military was cinema. Yes, uh, I will admit that Saving Private Ryan was a huge inspiration for me joining, but it was more so the camaraderie, the heroic ideal, and being among worthy peers. Okay, so when I was about 17, actually when I was 17, I enlisted in the military. I shipped out to basic training, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And about four years in, after one combat tour, after uh, being at the 101st for about three years, I realized that I wanted something else. So I spent about a couple, uh, about a year traveling through Europe, living in Sweden and Germany, trying to find out who I am as a person, as a man, which if you guys listen to my podcast, you will know that you can never find yourself in a backpack traveling across Europe. Sure, it's fun. You'll get laid, you'll drink a lot, but at the end of the day, you're not going to find yourself in a backpack across Europe. It's a waste of time, a waste of money. Um, what you're looking for is between your ears. But anyways, I uh, I ended up creating a meme page, which I ended up making a pretty decent amount of money on. It was a lot of fun. It gained a lot of traffic. But to make a long story short on, you know, my, I guess, my, to where I am now, I just didn't feel like I wanted to make funny content I didn't feel like a funny guy. You know what I mean? I was just here to make people laugh all day. I felt more like a clown rather than what I was actually wanting to create, which was the more philosophical, metaphysical slash ideal, um, you know, content that I create now. So at a certain point in time, I just realized, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. And I created my account, which is Munden underscore Forest, which was a big deal to me. This was a big deal because you have to remember that I've been anonymous on the internet for years. Everybody knows me in the military, but nobody knows me in the military. Nobody knew that I was the salty soldier. So I created the account where I kind of like quote, came out and uh, everybody started to realize that the salty soldier wasn't a 70 year old Vietnam vet. It was a 24 year old, you know, specialist E4 at the time. 
And, uh, you know, then eventually I transitioned over the content that I create now, which is you guys have to remember that my content that you guys see, it's not to appeal the masses. It's not to make people happy. It's not to make them feel good. I created my account. I am where I'm at now because I needed an online journal. I needed a place to share my thoughts. I needed a place to share my memories. I needed to share my philosophies and my spirituality. What you guys are looking at, what you guys are hearing right now in the microphone with blood and rain, this is an online journal. I'm essentially uh, creating an archetype for myself, or not an archetype, but I'm rather archiving my thoughts and who I am as a person. Everything that you see is an online journal. It helps me articulate who I am, where I stand, where I'm going. Um, but ultimately, to answer your question, man, uh, yeah, I needed a place to store my thoughts. I needed a place to kind of figure out who I am. And that's, uh, people liked it, I guess. And it kind of got shared to where I'm at now, which is near 14,000 followers, about 5,000 listeners on the podcast. And it kind of just went from there. But that was a really short story to a long one about kind of where I came from in the military. I'm still in the military now. I'm a drill sergeant because one of my main goals in life is uh, it's weird. As you get a bit older, you start to realize that you're kind of outside of yourself and that your main duty in life, or at least mine, is to help other people ascend and become better humans. So what better place to do that than content creation and being a drill sergeant at the same time? But um, I hope that answers your question. I know that's kind of like a very quick synopsis about where I came from, but yeah. I mean, no, that that hits that hits all the marks. Um, yeah, essentially, I mean, it, it, so you look at meme pages, you see like twenty seven million followers, like you know, you can monetize the shit out of it. Um, oh, dude, you make so much money. Yeah, it's like you you see, I, what, what's the one I came across it? Like grape juice boys is one of the big ones, or fuck Jerry, or all those guys. Oh um, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, but like, dude, you are appealing to the lowest common denominator. Like, yes. you were making money off of ma- keeping people stupid. And yours is military humor, so you had a, a niche that made sense. wasn't necessarily keeping people stupid, but I would imagine in such a, I don't want to say tense environment, but it's a very buttoned-up militant environment, obviously, because it is the military, that you're, you're providing somewhat of a counterbalance through making people laugh about the military. But I can imagine that over time, especially with that initial sort of drive you had to be in the military, it started to feel like you're missing aligning yourself. Am I correct in assuming that? Actually, perfect point. Okay, so I just, you just made me spark a memory here. Okay, so um, the moment that I transitioned from the salty soldier to the account that I have now, little backstory, because you just, I can't believe I forgot this, but I was in Starbucks about three years ago. And I've gotten to the point to on my page on the Salty Soldier where people are paying attention. They'll find me in public and they'll know who I am, which is frightening to have that bubble burst. But I was in Starbucks in Anaheim, Southern California. I was buying a craft beer, and a, you know, I was just at the end of the day. And this guy, he's like staring at me, right? <laughs> Sorry, I tell this story all the time. <laughs> but he was staring at me, and he was just looking at me. And then he was like talking to his girlfriend, and he was like. Oh, the hell is this guy do you know it's you know when men stare at each other it's not necessarily like oh he's so handsome it's fight this guy you know it's not good so this guy was staring at me and then he comes up to me and he's like hey man are you the the meme guy and i at that point i was like oh god i'm the meme guy and then i just while he was talking to me which don't get me wrong it's an honor to like have somebody come up and meet you 
and, and like want to take a picture with you, which we did. It's on my Instagram. You scroll way back down. And uh, I was like the mean guy. He, this guy actually probably was like one of my main psychic shifts. And I just flash forward to me as a 70-year-old, seven or let's say 85-year-old on my deathbed. And like my tombstone said, the meme guy. And I was like, oh, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I'm the meme guy. And what is what is a meme? What is a meme but, but a, uh, an image? It's, it's a propaganda piece. It's funny. It's humorous. It's powerful. Don't get me wrong. I don't, under, I don't underestimate the power of memes at all. But I don't want to be the meme guy anymore. I didn't at the time. So thank you, Parker, for coming up to me in Starbucks and changing my life and putting me through a mini existential crisis. I love you. But um, that was a big shift for me, man. And that's really important. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you uh, made me remember that. First of all, that's hilarious. That is that is absolutely yes. like when I, <laughs> I mean, I saw I, I'm, at, I'm out of acting for a while. My, my mother, you know, she always secretly wants me to still act. That, that's a whole whole different story. But. Um, when, uh, when the, the Billy Eyelash song, Bad Guy, came out, um, I, I did, like, a, I was so fucking tired of hearing it that I sang it at the top of my lungs, but instead of, like, the doo 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 I, like, sang an operatic sort of, like, chorus to it, and she died laughing, and she's like, you know, you, you can make a lot of money on YouTube doing spoofs like that, and then you can get back into acting, I'm like, how the fuck is that gonna work, mom, okay? Like, how am I gonna go from doing that to to coming up to the Royal National Theater like hey uh, I saw that you had a um so that you had an opening for uh for Duke Orsino in 12th and I think you're like wait aren't you the guy on YouTube who does the no that's that's somebody yeah. else that's some total ass like, no! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah it got to that point to me too where people were just constantly relating me to the cuz I used to make videos uh funny videos on YouTube funny quirky videos somebody called me quirky once i wanted to kill myself but uh, yeah they constantly relate you back to that content that you created years ago but you got to break from that facade you got to break from that image yeah. um which is what happened uh, which is the realization that i came to which i was like dude i need to i need to break off from this but um yeah not to go too much on a tangent there about what happened after that but i basically that's when i started to realize that i am more than a meme I am more than a funny joke guy. I am more than the meme guy. And then uh, I was pretty new. I was, I was going through a spiritual awakening because I just broke up with my ex and I realized uh, that there was more to life than I previously anticipated. And that's kind of where we are today. But yeah. Got it. So speaking on, so you said something really interesting to me. Um, when, you, when you broke up and you said for the first time you were alone, and that was sort of the shift of, of the black pill, but, and I'm, I'm, I'm pulling from a bunch of different things here, so bear with me, but, um, I, I, I recorded another podcast recently that I will not name, not to spoil it, but they said something that I think applies to at least you and myself from, from my understanding from the conversations that we had and what you said in the beginning about red pilling, like it's good, you know, it's a good initial thing, but. We didn't, you know, we weren't the guys who, and, and again, if you, guys, if you, if you are this guy, that's good. Like, we, we, however you get there, we want you to get there. Like, it's, there's, there's more than one way up the mountain. But neither of us picked up a book by Rollo Tomasi or Roosh or any of these guys in the Manosphere or Jack Donovan. I don't, I don't even know any of these guys' names until, like, maybe two months ago. And say, wow, this has completely changed my perspective. They have red-pilled me. So... Briefly, to touch on my background, I went four years celibate by choice, which was just 
which was amazing. It was it in two two years without releasing at all, and I was a maniac. It was great. Um, but I I sort of and at the time I was like my my thing was like all right I finally moved out of my my father's I've quit the Silicon Valley job and I'm pursuing being a professional fighter and I've just recently come to the Orthodox Church and I'm planning on being an all time great fighter and if I live past that because I was hoping maybe I'd die in the ring that'd be pretty cool honestly and I've that was really, <laughs> yeah that, that was like I was thinking like you know my last title fight I'm like forty and. I'll win. I'll, I'll, I'll narrowly win, but then not make it out of the hospital. Like, how sick would that be, you know? Um, oh, my God. It's the heroic death, yeah. yeah that, was, that was what I fantasized about every single day. Oh, um, didn't, yeah, didn't we all? Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's normal, guys. That's, if you're a man, that's normal. Don't have any, you know, female figure tell you it's not, because it is normal. Um, but, and then I was like, well, if, you know, if, if I don't die, then I'll probably go be like an Orthodox monk or something. And, but... I, I started to notice, especially being a bartender, that I was surrounded by guys who were both martial artists and ex-military at a very disciplined bar program in San Francisco. That even these guys who had a lot of discipline in their life, they just had this sort of seething like, oh God, when am I going to get my next lay? Like, when am I going to get laid next? It's just, God, I got to find the next girl. Dude, Arthur, that girl right there, she can have my tips. I was like, no one can have my tips. No one. Literally no one can have my tips. And I was like, you know, this, it started to... Get in my mind, I was like, you know, even, like, this is a form of weakness. Like, that, the way men are treating themselves and treating themselves in the context of relation to women, it was, we sort of got to the similar thing to you. Is like we sort of red-pilled ourselves and then eventually black-pilled ourselves. But, yes. that, and that's, that, I, that I found recently is a very uncommon thing. And now you're hearing guys who are like, oh, there's this thing called monk mode. I was like, what's monk mode? I was, I was doing the monk mode thing on my own without any influence. Um... But you and I are in, probably invincible. I haven't asked him about his background in this, but are people who have red pill, black pill, then white pill ourselves. So you also spoke of this time recently in your story. I forget what exactly. You, you had a pretty profound, pretty almost like a statement of a story saying the initial time in your content creation with Munden Forest, you were pushing a lot of points that you had some pushback from the military. You felt very alone. And, you know, through solitude, I came to where I'm at. And it sounded like through solitude, you got to where you're at now. I'm really curious about that initial period of time where you were like the one creator out there, especially from the military. Yeah, I was, um, see, this is the thing. This is the weird thing about content creation on the internet is that I don't know if I was the only one out there creating the type of content that I was, but it felt like it. And I, my gut tells me that I was kind of, maybe there's a few out there, but the way that the algorithms work, I wasn't seeing anyone out there. So I started talking about a lot of like mythological points about religion and faith. And, you know, I felt ultimately really alone for a couple of reasons. One, I received almost no feedback about what I was saying. And I'm a human. I like feedback. I like to know when I'm doing something right. I like to know when I'm doing something wrong. Two, there wasn't very many cons. Guys, this was years ago. I'm talking, what are we in 2021? I'm talking 2018, 2019. And uh, I didn't really see anyone else that, out there like me, and I was getting a lot of pushback by a lot of these radical – because I was talking about women, relationships, about these third-wave feminists and stuff like that. I was talking well, – this is what scared me, man. I was talking about um, ancestral appreciation. I'm a white male, a white male who talks about ancestral appreciation, about proud to be German, proud of its you know, English heritage, proud of being you know Scottish and Irish. I 
my family members jumped the border, you know, a hundred years ago. And I have all the, the things that, you know, but that I started being afraid to talk about that, but I wanted to talk about it anyways. I wanted to talk about my ancestors and I had to ask myself at a certain point in time, why do I feel fear when I talk about where I came from? Why do I feel fear about when I talk about my ancestors? And when I would talk about it, I felt alone because nobody else was really talking about this stuff. At least it didn't seem like it. And, um, then, you know, Everybody wants to call everybody, everybody who talks about being proud about their heritage, who is a European descendant, a white supremacist. And I, ha I had a clearance at the time, so I just had all these worries, but I kept on keeping on because I felt like it was the right thing to do, if not for myself, at least for those around me. And, you know, to make a long story short, I felt like I was really alone in this, this, um, this creation for a long time because I didn't really see anyone else like me out there. And at this time I only had like 5,000 followers and sure there was other people out there like Jack Donovan and you know, these uh, maybe more obscure content creators like bronze age mindset were kind of talking about it, but like not really talking about it and um, just all, all sorts of stuff. And then all of a sudden I just noticed a lot of people popping up out of nowhere uh, you know, like you and Flow Modus and Nature Pill and all the people I always mention in my podcast. And I realized, like flowers among a field of weeds, that there were people out there who think and feel like me even still. And not only that, but they feel the courage to speak up about being proud of who they are as a man and as a person. And we kind of have to rediscover ourselves. I always tell my podcast audience that um, education now isn't necessarily education. It's more relearning. So I had to relearn a lot of the things that I was taught as a young man, especially being in the military and, you know, in the public school system. But yeah, dude, for a long time there, I felt really alone and I wanted to quit multiple times in what I was doing. But something in my gut, I don't mean to sound like, oh, you know, somebody told me from above that I need to keep going. But I mean, something told me that I needed to keep going and then uh, it just kind of expanded out from there. As to me being alone, I don't know. I don't know if I was truly alone, but it sure as hell felt like it. That's for sure. And then my family, not my immediate family, but more like my uh, peripheral family, you know, like second and third cousins we don't really talk to, they start disowning you and they start not liking what you're talking about. And they start thinking that you're crazy and you're wild and all this stuff like that. And then I had like really good cousins and really good friends of mine kind of like distance themselves from me. And then I was like, am I crazy about talking about this stuff, about talking about, you know, paganism and religion and Christianity and you know, talking about mythology and talking about ancestral appreciation and ascension. Like, am I the crazy one? Or is everyone else the crazy one? There's a really good quote. I can't remember who it was from. Maybe it was George Orwell. I can't remember. But he talks about how, you know, some of the most intelligent men in history uh, are only constantly reminding everybody about common sense and about what should be commonly known. That's, I feel like that's my job on social media nowadays is just to remind a lot of these like normies, these blue pill people, to remind them what they should have already known. Common sense really isn't that common anymore. But um, yeah, man, I felt like I was alone for a really long time. So that's why talking on podcasts like this is a, is a great relief. Wow. I mean, yeah, it sounds like, you know, yeah, from, from my understanding, like I said, Invincible's hit and run. I dipped for a while. And everyone sort of came up all at once. And you know, speaking, you know, you can play this whole devil's advocate, you can play this whole skeptic, like, mm, well, maybe they, you know, maybe they adjusted the algorithm, like, mm, maybe this happened, like, mm, it's completely unlikely, it's like, well, okay, you, you, you're arguing just being the devil's advocate into the point where it's almost being illogical, if you're yeah. arguing it that hard, 
Um, and, and that in itself is a white pill because especially with all this like fact check nonsense, like you start fact checking the fact checkers and then it all just falls apart. Um, you, yeah, I, I have a sincere doubt that the algorithm changed so much that we all just popped up at once. From my understanding, so th- th- this, this, this is a crossover into some potential woo-woo shit, but at the risk of potentially crossing over into some woo-woo shit, um, I came across, and I've had discussions with you about this, came across multiple people that have claimed these are devout spiritual people of various different walks, claiming that consciousness has started ascending since roughly 2011, the winter solstice of 11, and then it seriously came into a headway, like, for a pretty intense clash at the end of 18, and that's, a, the winter solstice of 18 was sort of when I got super blackpilled, and I noticed a bunch of people around me were super blackpilled, too. That was when I was blackpilled, too. Yeah, see, th- yeah, okay, that's, this is not an Instagram <laughs> algorithm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the entire 2019 was sort of this weird, I, I noticed a bunch of people saying, like, even, even, not even people who are like-minded like us, just like, just like the meme pages we were talking about before, saying like, hey, bruh, I don't know, man, but it feels like everything's falling apart, but coming back together at the same time, and I don't know what to do with that. I'm like, damn, okay. You know, I just felt a bit of wisdom in a very unlikely place, so that's interesting. But the entirety of 2019 felt, and most, I mean, obviously most of 2020, because that's, yeah. Uh, it felt like, okay, things are getting worse, but it feels certainly like things are getting worse before things get better. It doesn't feel like this just complete descent into an irreversible abyss. And the winter solstice of 2000, it's always the winter solstice for some reason, don't ask me why, but 2019 was somewhat interesting and somewhat cryptic, at least in my experience. And then the winter solstice of 2020 was like the, the great conjunction you know, a once in every 800 year event, I would imagine, in the sort of cosmic sense, something interesting is going to happen if it's that rare. And, you know, the second iteration of Blood and, Ra- Blood and Rain page, it started after actually a conversation with Invincible. And it's, it, it popped up beginning in September, but I didn't really start seriously posting until the end of November. And about a month right before into the Great Conjunction. The Great Conjunction, and this this is actually one of the questions that one of the followers posted, but after the Great Conjunction on the Winter Solstice this year, and I was looking around, I, I it was strange, because the, the only pages that I consistently followed were you, Invincible, and probably Solbra for some things. Um, and then I sort of noticed some other content creators that I was looking around, but I didn't really think of them as content creators as sort of adjacent pages, and I was like, huh. That's interesting. And I started to notice I was posting, posting more long-form content. And everything just sort of flooded all at once a couple days, you know, in between the winter solstice into Christmas, leading up to the new year. It certainly felt like a shift. And I'm curious that... I'm curious to see your experience, what that was like. Did anything feel different to you? Did you was that around this time that you noticed, or did you notice a bit earlier, or... Did you wait a little bit, like, just to, to harbor a little bit of logic and thinking that maybe, maybe this is in my head? Like, what was that experience for you when you saw the flowers come up from the weeds? I don't remember if there was a specific moment 
it's weird. As like a content creator, that you can probably relate to this. Things start to kind of blur together a little bit. But I do remember around winter solstice, I felt a change. Not 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 necessarily in the community, but more so. Uh, I mean, yeah, in the community for sure. Flowers within the weeds, but within myself. And there seemed to be like this buzz in the air. There seemed to be like this different atmosphere that was uh, that was starting to develop. And I started to notice that the ideas that um, a lot of us were sharing were starting to line up with one another. And we started to realize that we have a lot more power than we previously anticipated. Um, and I noticed that all all the community needed was a little push in the right direction that's when i started telling everybody you need to start creating podcasts man you need to start creating essay posts you need to start creating accounts that are separate from yours and sharing your ideas because we all have a lot more to say than we thought we did before everyone who ever started an account no matter how big or small they all think they have nothing to say until they realize that they have everything to say and uh but around winter solstice i was at a gathering and uh, i was kind of sitting and i was meditating bench overlooking a lake and i received and this is some woo shit i'll admit a lot of people don't like this but whatever i think i feel like the world is relatively magical you know there's more to the world than we see but i had this this vision this golden solar vision not like i just saw the world in the future but i just saw something positive and I feel like a lot of us started to kind of notice this atmosphere change within our own psyches. I call it the great, great psychic awakening or the solar ascension period, where we started to all realize it's like we all started to realize we all started to wake up at the same exact time, and we started to communicate with each other. We started to collaborate more with each other. Now I'm not sure if our awakening came from the collaboration and/or communication, or it came from external factors, but it feels a lot more mystic. And it feels a lot more cyclic than I thought before. Now, was there a specific point in time on a day and an hour where I realized that things were starting to change? No. It was gradual. It was slow. It was more of an incline. And it was uh, it was unnoticeable to those who aren't paying attention. The whole point of solar ascension, the whole point of the great conjunction is a mass paying attention. That's all it is. is we're just starting to notice patterns within ourselves and within the outer world. That's all it is. But to answer your question, there was never a specific moment when I realized things were about to change. And changing they are. A lot of critics out there don't think that men are starting to wake up and realizing that they are something outside of just being a man. Society, modern society, always wants to tell us that we are just dumb bimbos, that we have this stupid chimpanzee man brain. We started to connect within the last six months to dots and realize that we are more godlike than we previously previously anticipated more uh more like mini deities mortal deities than we thought but yeah to answer your question man i never realized a specific moment in time when i realized things were starting to change yeah just sort of you know i think your description of it is pretty accurate honestly that you know something's in the air this sort of wave was coming over and that's that that's that's probably the best description i've heard of it and that was certainly my experience too it was like afterwards, I was like, I was, I was at, it was at Christmas Eve of my father's, or Western Christmas, and I was like, huh, <laughs> it, was, it was a bit odd, and I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, and I'm not really, like, <laughs> I'm not the, I mean, Orthodox, or Christmas is January 7th, that's a whole different thing, but I was like, usually I'm not this festive, and I'm feeling festive, but I don't feel festive for the sake of feeling festive, it's something else. Yeah. 
and that wave sort of came over me and I think I and I noticed that wave among everyone and yeah this this like you said this whole notion of this, this, this whole notion of like oh men just want one men just want one thing it's fucking disgusting um but it, it seems that and I, I'm noticing it's not just seems like men are waking up and it's the point is as soon as we all wake up and we see the malicious forces that are sort of keeping us in chains, you know, consciously, physically, mentally, it's like we all turn out our gaze, all of them at once, all of us at once toward these malicious forces, forces and basically just say to them, yeah, you're in trouble now. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah. You're all in trouble now. And with the way that, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get too political because it's not about politics, but you're seeing a lot of cracks in the aura because they not really didn't really had an aura in the first place, but you're seeing a lot of cracks in the controls. You're seeing a lot of cracks in the narrative. People aren't really buying the mass narrative anymore. And it's happening all at once. And it's happening from people who are, have nothing to do with our sphere. So that's interesting to me. And the wave is interesting. And I want to transition into the solar ascension, but just tying into a couple things as well. Uh, one, of, you know, I would say probably you would most likely agree the most prominent creator and sort of an OG before even us was uh, was the Golden One. Uh, yes. The the guy out of Sweden, you know, big jacked Viking man, you know, talking <laughs> about a number of things, and he got zucked for absolutely no reason, but for every reason that we understand. Um. And he, he spoke about um, something, and I'm, I'm mentioning this with every content creator I have on now for a reason. He mentioned that, and you and I have had discussions about this as well, but that we're not necessarily fighting a political war. It, it, it manifests as a political war, but it's downstream from what he would call a culture war. And that's why he wants people posting physique. That's why he wants people posting videos of nature. That's why he wants people posting videos of jiu-jitsu rules. A bunch, a bunch of things like that. Very elegant things. Very elegant, beautiful content. Very traditionalist content. Very, el- very spiritual, holy, whatever you want to call it. High thumos. All these adjectives that we're throwing around, and as we should. And he said, so we can control the narrative. We can win the culture war because culture is far more superior than politics. And I said, I, I agree with that. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And when you said, you, you sort of, you posted on Instagram saying that you're going to come on uh, my podcast and Evil Academies, saying that I'll come on your podcast too. Just start a podcast. And that was a couple days before I had my first guest with Galaxy Fuel. And I said, you know, what's, what's fascinating to me about Forrest was, you know, you, you'd think, just, just off the top of your head, maybe in the sphere, someone, someone like Forrest would think, I'm the podcast guy. You know, I'm the guy who does the podcast, so, you know, this, this, this is my thing. It's like, no, I want everyone to start a podcast. And I found that really interesting, and I was like, okay, that, that highlights his character, and that highlights the fact that he's in this for all the right reasons. He's not in this for himself. He's in this to foster his fellow man. And with that... I started to think, okay, we need, to flood the, we need to flood the culture war. We need to win the cultural narrative. But I thought that there was something higher than that. It didn't sit right with me that it stopped at culture. 
Now, there are people of various faiths. We have, we, you and I have spoken about the absolute nonsensical divide between the Christians and the pagans, which makes no sense right now, because that's not what we should be focusing on right now. Um, but I was, I, was, I was speaking about this with Nature Pill, and I was like, I think this is war of consciousness. I think this is, we're fighting a war of consciousness, and downstream from that is culture, and then downstream from that is politics. So we shouldn't be so wrapped up on the Republicans or the Democrats or whatever party you're in versus whatever party is the opposing party in your country. But we have this great conjunction. We have these flowers rising from the weeds. And then comes, I honestly, I think you were the first person to peddle it within our sphere. Jack Donovan has talked about this, but this solar ascension. And ascension talks about not the ascension of the body, but the ascension of the soul, of the consciousness. So you're the first person to really speak on this, and how how did this come to you, and how did you feel so strongly about pushing this into the sphere? Hmm. So I think it came from a podcast that I did with. Are you familiar with Oaks and Oats? I am. I am absolutely. So I did a podcast with Oaks and Oats where we talked about the solar ideal. That dude is freaking. Oh my God, he, he's one of the smartest dudes I've ever met to the point to where like, I can't even keep up with him half the time. And I don't know if there was a specific moment where I realized that the solar ideal was something worth striving for, but we kind of uh, concluded that within man is a hint of the divine. Like I said, this uh, kind of demi-god-like energy. And to strive for the solar ideal is to strive for godhood. We're mortal men. We'll never become gods. We'll never be immortal. We'll never live forever. We don't have the same power. But in a way, we can strive for godhood in a way that makes us like gods. And um, I think ultimately what it came down to was realizing, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, that there was more to life than I had previously anticipated that I am more mystical, that I am more powerful than I thought I was. And at the end of the day, you know, really, I realized that we all realized that um, that the solar ideal is everlasting, that it is cosmic, that it is mythological in nature, and that it is enduring, and that it is glorious, but not glorious in the definition of, like, you know, we're striving for, rather it's glorious as in like it's God's glory, it's the divine glory. Um, but I think ultimately the solar ideal was something that can be kind of diluted down to, I realized that, that, that I was more potent, that we were all more potent than I thought we were. Um, but yeah, the, the podcast that I'm referring to is called the solar ideal with oaks and oats and i highly suggest that all of you guys listen to it and um, kind of listen to what he says about why the symbol of the sun is man's most powerful symbol and there also is this like really useless battle between those of the abrahamic faith like christians and catholics and pagans when in actuality i always you guys may have heard me say this before but i say two brothers one son where I think that our Christian brothers and our pagan brothers, pagan really is the ultimate definition of like non-Christian, but the pagan and Christian brothers can come together and realize that we have a goal, that we have an end state that is, if there is an end state, 
that is worth striving for that we can put our petty differences aside but um yeah the golden one actually played a really big part now that i look back on it in hindsight in like me striving for the solar ideal though he never said solar ideal though he never said solar ascension he obviously embodied it both physique and also um, philosophy but at a certain point we have to realize that the facades of politics is a distraction republican democrat right uh that this and that all these different political things that are meant to distract you is pretty much irrelevant and at the end of the day what matters is character and merit and development and um, the ideal of masculinity and what it's worth striving for i know it's a big tangent and i know that it's a lot to kind of digest so that's why i'm kind of pushing my uh audience and your audience towards that episode because i've talked about it in the past but um yeah it's something that they should all listen to no, I, I think you're right, and I think it's important to. I think it's yeah, I think it's very important to. I don't want to say push the solar idea because that sounds like it's a it's an ad campaign because it's not, but. To foster the solar ideal, to. Embody the solar ideal, to speak on the solar ideal, to flood the world with the solar ideal, because. I think you're right. I think Oaks and Oaths talked about, you know, none of us, none of us are surviving without the sun. Plain and simple. Um, whether, you know, and, and a lot of a lot of Christians would be like, well, that's idolatry. I'm like, is it? Is it? I, I have trouble believing that because let's take, you know, an Abrahamic standpoint for just a split second and say, well, if God is so this omnipotent central constant that always was and always will be then everything is from him including the sun and the sun is something keeping us alive in the physical standpoint so what's the problem it, it, it makes it makes no sense to get so wrapped up in technicalities that really have come through man-made intervention for over the past 2000 years and what you, this 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 is getting on somewhat of an Abrahamic tangent, but I I'm I'm saying this for a reason, since that. The initial church wasn't a building. These these were people who were considered religious radicals, against from an established, religious liturgical, dogmatic organization. These people were meeting in nature. These people were elevating their consciousness and their spirituality in nature. And there's even a gospel that was labeled heresy by the Vatican because it basically puts them out of a job where these are apparently words of Christ saying, we don't need buildings, we don't need these leaderships, like everything, God is within us. So we're, we're, it's, it's a lot of the same thing, like you're saying divinity is within all of us, we're all many deities, and I do believe that's correct. Because whether you call that central thing God or whether you... Whether you have, there's so many names for it, this divinity. And again, we could argue and split hairs till kingdom come, Allah, the gods, God, whatever. But there's divinity within each and every single one of us. And there's this symbol of life. And there's this literal beacon of life that is the sun that man can strive for, that provides. And it is an archetype for man to provide. 
saying, you look at the sun, look what it does. It provides for all of us, so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to provide a greater future. We're supposed to provide for ourselves, then our, our wives, our children, and then beyond that, our society, our fellow man, our country if need be, the world if need be, depending on the context. So I think, again, promoting is not the right word, but fostering that and speaking upon that and having that be central in the sphere is so important. So I, I, don't, I don't mind the tangent of all of sending people towards that podcast. I think everyone should listen to it because solar energy really at the end of the day is masculine energy and yes. man, man is in a sorry state right now and we need to heal men and restore men. And I think that's the path to getting there within this war of consciousness. Would you, would you pretty much agree with that assessment? Yeah, I would. And, um, you know, it, this kind of goes in line with like, the, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like the King Warrior Magician Lover Archetypes by Robert Gillette, graphics counterpart. But um, ultimately, um, before I'm, I'm going to take a little break here, I'm going to go take a piss real quick. So I don't know if you pause the episodes or what. But yeah. before we go into like the next part of this podcast, um, the solar ideal is essentially what he said, right? So if you look at the sun and what it actually does, it provides warmth provides nutrition through food and growth and fertility and when, the, when the land is sunny when it is happy and when it is fertile the people are the women the children you know the kings the queens all that stuff like that the solar ideal is essentially um, providing fertility for the nation and man man is natural i mean the solar ideal is naturally masculine because the, the sun is a naturally masculine uh, figure it always has been and um but the solar ideal, we can get really caught up in the weeds on symbolism behind it, but ultimately what it comes down to is taking action. So a lot of us have been kind of, including myself, even still today, have been caught up more in the ideal of the, I mean, in the philosophy of the solar ideal rather than acting it out. The solar ideal is an action. It's a, it's a play. It's a theatric. It's a, uh, a chapter that is being written. And um, the solar ideal is meant to take place not only in the spiritual realm which we have noted its importance but also within the physical if you just hold all that solar energy within yourself whether it's metaphysical or physical or spiritual whatever it's useless unless it is acted out within the physical realm yeah i mean that makes a world of sense because you know, we, we talk about the solar ideal. We talk about the shift in consciousness. We talk about this war in consciousness. We talk about everyone showing up at once. And the solar ideal is being exhibited because everyone is taking action. Everyone was sort of just keeping quiet. Everyone was thinking, ah, oh, you know, I don't... <laughs> my, my, myself included. Like, I would look around and the guys around me was like, well, I'm on my completely different path. And I can't really talk about that without sounding a, like a lunatic, so I'm just not going to say anything. Um... And then I just decided to get back into content creation and, and everyone else started having something to say. Everyone else took action on them having a voice. And it seems like everyone's exhibiting the solar ideal because everyone actually is taking action. So that really proves the point, what you're saying ultimately. And that proves the solar ideal in itself and that we're on the right track. Yeah, exactly. And there are, there, I wrote, I've written an essay about this, but ultimately like, what we both said is that ultimately it comes down to action. It, can't, it comes down to taking action. And we all knew it 
for like years. We knew it and we acted it out maybe yes, but now we're articulating it more. So if you don't mind, I want to read um, an essay that I actually wrote. It's very, very short from like uh, January 3rd and it's my rules for solar ascension. These aren't guidelines. Like these aren't like you have to follow step rule through one through five. There's it's flexible, right? We all have our own rules, but here, here are mine. And, um, some of you guys may have read it before, but here it is. Solar Ascension, five rules for your solar ascension. Number one, strive for physical perfection. Number two, seek out the divine. And number three, embrace tradition. Number four, promote growth and not only yourself, but others. Number five, find your tribe of brothers. There's a change happening within our community. Men are taking the solar path. This is the path of vitality, strength, and hope. We are accepting, life accepting, not life denying. Men are waking up to their deeper slumber and locking their true potential. No more nihilism. No more blackpilling. Those are for weak men. We have descended from gods, built in their image. And we will act like it. A new age of man is upon us. I see it now. We will conquer the modern world rebalance the cosmos join us so that was an essay that a lot of you guys have probably uh read already but ultimately my idea of the solar ascension can come down to those five rules and um yeah that was actually january 3rd and that was when i decided to actually start writing about all the stuff that we're talking about now that was one of my favorites too and it was an it was a welcome start to the new year, too, and I think it was one of the main posts that sort of set the tone for everyone. Everyone's having a fantastic year so far within the sphere. Everyone's, I'm hearing, I'm getting messages of people completely turning around their lives, and I'm seeing voices flourish. And pretty much every single one of these people in the sphere are exhibiting all five of those those key points of the solar of, of the solar ascension these rules that you made for the solar ascension and what's interesting is it starts with the physical it doesn't start with it doesn't start with the seeking divinity which i find interesting because it really does drive the point home that we can pray till kingdom come that we can debate these things till kingdom come. That we can internalize, we can we can debate internally. But we're still physical beings until we maybe ascend to a different plane permanently, which that's a whole different podcast in itself. But being present and being present in the fact that we have a role to exhibit as living beings here. We are divine beings. But it starts with accepting the fact that this is our plane. And, you know, you, you hear, I had Nature Chad on, and he says, you know, the first thing for me that really changed was just lifting some weights. That's it. I just started lifting weights. <laughs> um, and some people might over, think that's oversimplifying. He's like, yes, it is, and that's the point. Um, and that seems to be the way that everyone is starting, too. For me, I'd say the biggest start for me in realizing fully who I was was the first time I hit pads in Muay Thai. I had a free pad session at this gym in London 
and I threw two punches and a kick, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Just, just right then and there. And it, it speaks volumes, too, about, especially for men that were such, were so tactile, were physical beings. Like, yeah, we're visual learners, and I'm sure a lot of us um, have visual as our first and foremost method of learning. Maybe some people are auditory, but I would imagine the majority is kinesthetic. I love the fact that it starts with the physical because people could get wrapped up with the spiritual. I myself have gotten wrapped up with the spiritual. And what I... Yeah, I actually... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. The, uh, so, yeah, the, the reason why I like that you brought this up because change starts... Yeah, it starts in the physical and, you know, you, have to, you know, all this hippie, hippie shit that a lot of us are preached to. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you can start this path way sooner rather than later by simply changing your body. Okay, so there's a really good book called Bronze Age Mindset, which I highly recommend that you guys read, even though it's quite difficult to read, where he talks about uh, physical perfection, and he was the one who kind of got me on this uh, thought pattern where the Greeks created statues, magnificent, magnificent statues, and they never made their statues obese. They never made them out of shape, really. All the men that were ever created in these Greek statues that took years upon years to make, 10, 15, 20 years, we're always symmetrical. They're always perfect physically. And there's a reason for that. That's because the Greeks innately understood that by striving for physical perfection, you're striving for godhood. You're striving for the divine. We are all created in the divine's image, in God's image, in the God's image, whatever you want to say. And that starts on a physical level. There's a reason why a lot of men start off by weightlifting and slowly start to realize that there's more to life than just uh you know nihilism and despair but uh you know like nature chad and all these people and you and i we all realize that a lot of our spiritual ascension comes from weightlifting it comes from jiu-jitsu it comes from muay thai it comes from finding our inner temple finding the holy grail if you will when you're punching those pads when you're when you're nature chad and uh, squatting outside in the rain or when you're myself doing jiu-jitsu and you're uh, finding peace in between losing consciousness and getting caught in the triangle choke for 30 times in a row in the same week there is something to be said about striving striving for physical perfection this is the funny this is where people get caught up a lot when i say striving for physical perfection i mean you you are striving for physical perfection we are mortals like you said we are in this physical mortal plane we're never going to get to a level of physical perfection there is always progress to be had but through striving for perfection no matter what you're seeking perfection in whether it's a hobby a craft a skill whether it's physical spiritual whatever in the pursuit of perfection we can find excellence a lot of people get caught up my first rule of solar ascension and they get caught up on the uh the perfection part you're never going to be perfect my dudes it's always a uh, uh progression wouldn't be as exciting if it had an end point it literally never ends there's okay there's there's a number of things to unpack there um <laughs> so first of all i wholeheartedly agree it's just in every way possible one of the things I'll touch upon briefly from a previous podcast I did titled Green Martyrdom was I found that 
when I came to the Orthodox Church and I was doing the monk thing that I was reading a book on the history and there was red martyrdom dying for the faith, white martyrdom being a monk, and green martyrdom. Now, the first was St. Christopher and it was he carried people across the river. And it was this prayer, it was this meditation, it was this spiritual development through labor, through physical acts. And one of the things I found interesting, and I, bri- I briefly listened to some of the, like some of the Norse pagan retreat um, podcasts that you have on your, on your premium bits, um, but it sounds like a very physical worship that you guys do when you gather. Am I correct in assessing that? Yeah, it's mostly physical. We gather around fires. We, you know, gather in Airbnbs and all. So, yeah, it's mostly physical. And it's 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 physical and it's ritualistic and, you know, it's it's very it's definitely ritualistic. But it's it there's so much of the physical involved and things like that. If you go to a, a Muslim service, it's very physical worship. If you go to an Orthodox Christian service, you're standing for two and a half hours. It's a very physical form of worship, and having that anchor, having that physical anchor to understand this presence and be able to ground your feet to understand the contrast of this ascending consciousness, I feel like you can't really understand your spiritual elevation until you're grounded physically and understand where you're at before you can ascend, or you're just going to completely tumble down. And Yeah, because at the end of the Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, at the end of the day, this is where a lot of people get caught up, is that there has to be a balance. You know, we're humans. We are balancing between the spiritual plane and the physical plane. If you get caught up in one or the other too much, you're going to kind of lose focus of where you're going. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, some people would definitely look at the chakras. They'd be like, there's the seven points of you know human experience within the chakras, and you need to sort of balance all of them. A lot of people get hell-bent. You know, but most people who have no spiritual life, they're just like, I have to, I have this job and I pay my bills and I have these kids and yada yada. It's like sort of very linear, square, American dream type deal. And then you have very new age hippies who are just like, man, it's all, it's all good, man. Like, you know, we're all cut. Like, this, you sort of get in this formless, floating state of existence. But I think within that, within harnessing on those rules and this this is this is what another one of the things that I like about your content is you have these sort of rigid rules, but everything else, as long as it's sort of within that solar path, as long as you're not malicious and intent, as long as you're not carrying the sort of consciousness and carrying the sort of way and intentions of these sort of divide and conquer entities that we're having to battle in this war of consciousness that your path of the solar ascension should be... Everyone's is going to look different. Your path should be yours and yours alone. We're all together, but we're not the same. And one of the things... You're talking about cultivating your own aesthetics. Cultivating your own... Yes, I was just about to say that. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes. I I think that's a very big deal. Because not only cultivating your own aesthetics, but speaking your own words... Having your own takes, and you, you were, I remember you saying briefly, not to, not to spoil anything from your podcast, you're like, <laughs> some people are, some people are, you know, copying other aesthetics, and that's fine, but, uh, <laughs> um, you, you, you'd rather see unique aesthetics, you know, a lot of people, I think, at first glance, would look at mine, and like, I don't know if this guy's solar, he has rain in the name, so what's that about, but, um, you're starting to see that, and, was that something that irked you? Did you see copycats from yours or copycats yes. of others? Or 
Yes. Okay. I am so glad you mentioned this because I was literally just about to say this. You read my mind. So there's a reason why. Okay. What he's talking about is an episode. God damn. What was the name of that episode? It was like, I don't remember. But it was, uh, it was about, I want to see you guys create your own aesthetic because each and every single one of us, though we have the same quote, end goal, even though there is never an end goal and never ends, progress never ends, there's a state that we are all we're, that we're all striving for, right? And with that state, which is the solar ideal, it all looks the same. It's all about you know, physical perfection, striving for it. It's all about being a better man. It's all about being a better person. But what I noticed a lot of people doing was they were copying my aesthetic. And everybody has a specific aesthetic because everybody is completely different. Our consciousness is all different. And a lot of people were copying my content and they were making it theirs, which is fine. Like, don't get me wrong, it's flattering. And a lot of people were copying Solbron. A lot of people were yeah. copying Solbron. Yeah. A lot. A lot of people were copying Invincible Way. And I was like, that's great. I think we're on the right path here. But let's mix it up a little bit. Let's see what you guys got. Um, because I like to see uh, everybody and what they think and they feel in their own way. And I just noticed a lot of like soul bras running around. And I noticed a lot of like London forests running around. And I noticed a lot of like invincible ways running around. That's why I made that episode saying like, find your aesthetic because you have one and go with that. And it's not wrong because it's your aesthetic. You're never going to be wrong in your content creation. What's exciting to me is seeing a lot more content like blood and rain flow modus nature way gallantry like all of those guys then seeing a hundred thousand sobras then seeing a hundred thousand mundan forests you know what i mean and that was exciting to me because everybody has a different perspective everybody has a different idea of what the solar ideal actually is and by embracing that idea of chasing your own aesthetic i think that makes us a lot more potent and a lot less boring too yeah i mean i, th- I think you you sort of briefly saw this with the Stoic movement, like when the Stoic. I feel like Stoicism. Oh, the Ryan Holidays, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even get me started on that, man. Dude, like so, like you know, it's it's funny. Like I think that the, the embrace of Stoicism was like sort of this like subconscious like. Men being like, we need something. Like we need something to hold on to because we have nothing. We don't know how to. We don't know how to speak upon we need a rise in masculinity, so we're going to go back thousands of years and start talking about Plato, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, you know, so on and so forth. And then, and then you Let's saw... Start over. <laughs> like, fuck it, we're, we're, we're going back to literal marble and making something else, but it's the same. Yeah. And I, I was like, seeing all these stoic pages, I'm like, this is awesome, but like, how many, like... How many, like, two-color, like, stoic pages are there going to be? <laughs> oh, God, I know exactly what you're talking about. The black and whites with, like, the picture of Marcus Aurelius with, like, that fancy font. You're like, yeah, for the first two months. And then after that, you're like, oh, God, I can't do this anymore. I've, I've seen the same Seneca quote literally everywhere. And it's great, but, yes. dude, like, and <laughs> not, not to keep talking about Invincible. So a lot of people, I, I don't know how secretive he's being right now, but... The Invincible Way was page was originally Stoic Army, and I started following Stoic Army because I was trying. This was the time when Stoicism was still fresh, so I was like, "Ooh, cool, another one, nice. Ooh, this one's this one's got some some colors involved. All right, this is getting interesting now, mixing it up." And he he switched the name of the Invincible Way, and you started seeing more and more just prominent people. You saw Goggins, you saw um, Kale Sanderson. They were 
imparting the Stoic wisdom that wasn't from the same six guys that you only see in statue form. Yeah. And then it became content of the 21st century, but cyclical because it's a lot of what he called timeless truths and testaments. And seeing, seeing that shift, seeing that shift was like, no, you know what? This, this whole like all great men are dead thing is fucking bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. Because I noticed there were a few guys. Like, I, I saw it in some MMA fighters. I saw it in some musicians, to be perfectly honest. And I saw it in some modern writers. I was like, there's a few guys. I don't think they realize what they're doing yet. But these are guys who take note. All our heroes don't need to be dead. All our heroes don't need to be Alexander the Great or Hannibal Barca yeah. or Henry David Thoreau. Like, we have something to say. We're still men. They were men just like us. They were physical beings just like us, plain and simple. It's the environment around us that we need to correct, and it starts with our individual decisions. And so, yeah, seeing, like, <laughs> like you're saying, all right, cool, we're all making new decisions, but now we're making all the same new decisions, so let's, 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 be, let's, let's mix it up a bit. And I, I'm really enjoying seeing the takes. I'm... I'm I, I really enjoy seeing the pages that, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure you get a bunch of messages like, how do I start my content creation page? Like, well, just, just start. Like, like what? Yeah, just literally start. Yeah, that's it. Just start. Trust me. <laughs> and people think that, people think, here's, I, guys, I, I've, I've been in your shoes. I know what it feels like. You're about to create a new account. You think that you have to have this fancy aesthetic and you got to lay everything out. And guys, I'll tell you what, if you listen to my podcast episode i didn't know shit about shit when i first started my go back 70 plus episodes out of my 200 i have 100 on patreon i have 100 on my public go back to my first public one and listen to that podcast i had no idea what the hell i was talking about i can't listen to it because it's so bad but look where i'm at now look where where you can be by just simply starting and what you said about like alexander the great julius caesar and uh, you know all these guys that we were very napoleon bonaparte those guys and that like all those guys that we constantly make heroic you have to remember it's like you can't get so caught up i've been guilty of this i've been guilty of this where you get so caught up in the past that you can't move forward so i wrote a post the other day where it's about acknowledging the past and acknowledging their deeds but realizing that we are men of the 21st century that we have a new battle in the same war that's been fought for thousands upon thousands of years and we have a new story to write this is a new genre this is a new generation and to sit there and think about marcus aurelius all day seneca pluto and all these people is great but it's a stepping stone we have to move forward and that's why i was laughing when i saw the stoic pages starting to pop up and you kind of sick of them and another reason why i wanted people to like kind of chase their own aesthetics not to segue too much here but um was because i was really afraid of getting memed and if everybody started copying my content and Soul Brawl's content, we would become memes. And then we wouldn't be taken seriously anymore. That's how I was like, get away from me. Like, <laughs> go over here. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily – it was because I didn't want people copying me. But it was because I don't want to become a meme. Because I know once you get memed, you're effed, dude. Like, you're, you're done. But, um, but, yeah, there's lessons to be learned from the past. But you can't sulk in it. Every generation that's ever existed has always looked back on the past and thought, oh, God, those men before us, 100 – like men in the 1800s are looking at men in the 1700s and thinking, oh, God, I wish I was in the 1700s. You know, they had swords back then. But at the end of the day, you have to realize that your battle is your own, and every battle is different, but the war is always the same. That's what it can – I dude, I got caught up in that mind F for like the long – I don't know if I can cuss on your podcast. 
that's wrong, so I'm saying F. Oh no, go, go, but, go, uh, I, I've, I've dropped like six F-bombs already, please go right ahead. Oh, <laughs> okay, that's why I've been caught up in that mindfuck for so long, because uh, you get so caught up on the past that you start to lose sight of where you're going. What's that super cheesy quote that every boomer always shares on Vikings, Ragnarok? He's like, or not Ragnarok, Ragnarok, he's like, don't look back at the past. He's like, he said you lose sight of, I can't, God, I can't remember the quote, but it's true, you know, Dude, okay, so, again, I have a lot to respond to with everything you just said, but, um... Sorry, I just dumped it on you, and I'm like... Oh, no, that... that, that... Wait, wait, can I say this real quick? Can I say this real quick? Yeah, go for it. Okay, don't waste your time looking back, you're not going that way. That's the quote, as cheesy as it sounds, I hate to be the guy that references Ragnar Lothbrok from the Vikings TV show, but don't waste your time looking back on Marcus Aurelius and, um, you know, all these, all these famous mythological, you know, stories and stuff like that, because you're not going that way anymore. Take lessons from them and move forward. Okay, sorry. No, no okay, that, that's perfect. I, I don't mind you you spraying in a firehouse, you're the guest, so, like, I'll respond to all of it. It's just, I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm, like, sort of, like, documents, like, like this first and this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, okay, like, w- when you actually sort of literally think about it, and you, 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 imagine those people now, because they're back then thinking, wow. Imagine the future of Rome in a hundred years, what the future's gonna yeah. be like. And imagine the future of Greece or whatever, like, or Napoleon before he got defeated. He's like, man, like, a global threat. Like, they're imagining these ideal societies, and we're just sitting here like, man, like this is bullshit. If if they met us, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is this is the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. Like, it's like, why are you so wrapped up in everything I did and getting depressed about it? This should motivate you. Yeah, they would think you're like, you're you're like cringy. I, I always imagine my ancestors looking at me and being like, dude, why are you so obsessed with us? Like, do your own thing. It's great you're acknowledging us, but at the same time, move forward. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I've literally had, like, felt my ancestors like, are you fucking serious? Like, is, 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 yeah. is, is, this, is this what you're complaining? This is what you want to complain about right now. Really? Really? Oh, uh, yes. Have you ever noticed our um, fan- is, uh, what's the word for this? fantasization of our ancestors? to where we think okay this is i I gotta go way back here but when it comes to ancestors we think and we like to think that they're all perfect and that they were all like awesome beings and they were all super strong but in actuality they were just human so it's like we look back on our ancestors there's a lot of us including myself and we're like god my ancestors would want me to do jujitsu today but when actually our ancestors are just normal ones and they just want you to be decent there's anything you just take away from this podcast episode it's just be decent yeah, I mean, I think the the decency for sure. I I do th- I do think the our ancestors would want us to be better than them. Cause like when you when you look at the relationship with with any normal parent, right? With any like just sane, not you know substance abusing, abusive parent, they want their kids to be better than them. And they're like, my my father says, Arthur, you're supposed to be better than me. Like he would hold me to this higher standard. I think that's good, and I think that transcended from ancestors in the past. I think that definitely applies, but I also think, like you said, it wouldn't be like you know if you if you make one mistake, it's it's not gonna be the end of the world. But like, yeah. um, like for, first of all, I don't think you know I I've had ancestors who were soldiers and boxers. I don't think they even knew what Muay Thai was. So I was like, oh god, I, I miss sparring them. My my ancestors of, of the Basque country would disown me. And like, no, we didn't even know what this was. So like, uh, yeah, I got I got really caught up in that too. Um, uh, do you mind if? If I read an essay right now, man. I, I don't mind at all. Please go right ahead. 
Okay, guys. So I, I've written an essay, essay called The Pitiful Time. It has to do with what we're talking about now. It's not irrelevant, I promise. But I, I have this idea where a lot of us get really blackpilled about the time that we live in. We think that, you know, all the greatest battles and wars have been fought, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But in actuality, like, there's no better time to be who you are now because there's no better time to be a hero. It's never been easier. So let me read an essay. All right, A Pitiful Time. Be thankful to live such a pitiful time in history. It's never been so easy for a man to make his mark upon the world. One can simply look at what everyone else does, says, thinks, and then do the complete opposite. Refuse to take, partake in modernity's cowardice, and half the battle is already won. However, we must not stop there. We were brainwashed by Hollywood to feel as though you were born in the wrong century. They want you looking backwards in time, daydreaming and whining about what was rather than what could be. I understand the appeal of the past. In my mind's eye, I spent half my days in the past with the old ones. There are great lessons to be learned there. Great lessons of tradition, resiliency, honor, love, and glory. But you were not born in the wrong era. You are exactly where you are supposed to be. I've come to realize that our ancestors don't always want us looking backwards. They are behind us for a reason, to push us forward into time. They are the winds within our sails. With their thrust, can we begin to write our new saga? The dawn of new man is upon us. One day, your grandchildren will ask you about these moments. Today, decide what you'll be able to tell them tomorrow. Know that your back is covered and move forward with an open chest and a proud chin. We have a story to write. End scene. Okay, so the reason why I wanted to mention that is because that was an essay that I wrote about what we're talking about right now. So first of all, I listened to your podcast talking about this. You... You mentioned, you're like, all right, I want to discuss something today. It's actually been kind of my black pill. You've sort of cursed the gods, essentially saying, why am I in this era? Like, I, there's yes. a hero of greater heroes. And I was like, oh, shit, this is a good one. <laughs> I could tell from the get-go. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many benefits to this era that people aren't seeing. First of all, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm at a point where I have no problem in saying this. I do believe the postmodern era is ending and that we yes. are indeed going into the age of heroes. And there's a vacuum of heroes. We don't have many. So it's our duty as part of our solar path to be one every single day. Every decision contributes to that. Because in a hundred years, there are going to be people that people in this era that are they're going to hold in the, the same regard as Alexander, as Napoleon, as all these people, and so on and so forth. I mean... Just looking back on the 20th century, look at the people we, we say in the same breath. We talk about Patton, we talk about Blackjack Pershing, we talk about Ernest Hemingway, we talk about F. Scott Fitzgerald, we talk about various scientists in the same breath as Galileo. They had their achievements, they're just more recent, so they don't feel, they, they don't feel as mystical, they don't feel as etched into time, but they're getting there more and more and more as we get further away from it. That's sort of the mystique of time. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing, but we also can't look at everyday lives and not think to ourselves, maybe someone's going to talk about this someday. Yes. Okay, can I mention something real quick? Okay, so what you're talking about right there 
is what I like to call, or what everyone calls, mythologizing. So you take Ooh. Galileo, you know, let's use Julius Caesar and Patton as an example. Yes, they made great accomplishments. They made history. But at the end of the day, they were humans. They shouldn't piss like all of us and it stunk. Okay? But the heroic ideal is not so glamorous. It's not so glorious. It's not one event. It's not one act necessarily. Mostly what it comes down to is micro choices. It's what you eat for breakfast. It's what you do in the morning. It's what you do at lunch. It's um, working out when you don't want to. It's all those things. Being a hero in the modern era of 2021 isn't about leading the next revolution. Okay, It's not about leading the next uh, assault on White House. It's not, it's not so <laughs> dramatic. It starts in the smallest, most insignificant things you could possibly imagine. A heroic act is a thousand common deeds. Really, that's what it is. So a lot of people think, oh, I can't be a hero. Well, I got news for you, buddy. The, no hero ever became a hero overnight. There's like two out of 40 million. It, it's a long, strenuous process. It takes place over multiple years with thousands of decisions. So, I mean, take some uh, take some hope from that. No, that that's that's Kate. That that's probably there's a number of very important things that we discussed already. But honestly, I think that's the most important. Because I think it is, all these heroes, It's an, there, there wasn't, you know, I, I'm going to list three examples right now that everyone, I'm sure, listening to this podcast is going to know about. Lionel Messi is probably the greatest soccer player of all time. He said, it took me 17 and a half years to become an overnight success, like they say. Um, th- then you look at two fights. Uh, I'm, I'm going to peddle two fighters that are unpopular just because everyone's been getting really salty at me for mentioning them. Um, you look at Khabib Nurmagomedov's win over Conor McGregor, and you look at Kamaru Usman's win over Tyron Woodley. McGregor and Woodley were both looking for that big shot. They both have knockout power, and they were relying everything on that big shot, and they based their game around that. And then you looked at, you looked at the temperament, and you looked at the strategy, and you looked at the work ethic ahead of time, and you looked at the lack of distractions from Usman and from Habib. They live like soldiers, Every single tiny little decision mattered. And once upon a time, McGregor and Woodley very much knew this. They, they knew this in spades, and they lost sight of it. And they were outworked, and they were ultimately defeated. And that didn't happen on that night. That didn't happen on, oh, man, what if, what, what if a lot of people say, what if Connor did land the left? Or what, what if Tyron Woodley did land the right? No. That's not the point. Those battles were won months and years beforehand through the accumulation of every single little decision. The Japanese have a philosophy that the tiny decisions are far more important than the greater decisions, and I kind of have to agree, to be honest. It's, and here's the sad part. Those two guys, especially Connor, could have been... I remember when Connor McGregor first splashed on the scene. I wasn't initially a big fan of him, but I just had to respect him. And... Hey, that guy could have gone on a run that was just, like we were saying, mythical. Like, he's a, he's a superstar right now. He's got his whiskey brand, you know. Like, he's, he's fucking hilarious. Um, and that's why people love him. But I remember when he first splashed on the scene. And he knocked out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. And there was this Nick called him Mystic Mac. And I said, dude, there was, there was a work ethic. And there was a run ahead of time where every little decision mattered. That if it would have kept going, you would have just be a, a, a once a century talent. 
And that's actually really sad to me to see. That he's sort of settled, and he's sort of settled, oh, I got all this money now. Oh, you know, I got this whiskey brand. Oh, you know, I got kids. That, that's fine. But then there, were, then there were the guys who, they may not be as big stars, but they're becoming once-in-a-generation talents in terms, of, in terms of resume and in terms of every single little decision. And in this age of heroes, there are very few people making every little decision like that. And what I think would be fascinating, we talk about winning the consciousness war, we talk about winning the culture war, we're talking about flooding the solar idea, the, until the norm isn't degenerate, until the norm is, is completely solar, the work isn't, I mean the work, like you said, is never done, because then we need to keep that as a norm, because there was a time when that was a norm, and that was lost. But we need to imagine, imagine a world where everyone understands or every man understands a solar ideal in the sense that it's in every single little decision. Then that's a norm that's far brighter. Far, far brighter. Yep, because cinematography and you know, commercialism and all that stuff like that makes you think that success and glory takes place overnight. Like Conor McGregor and his fights and you know, like Messi said, and all this stuff like that, and like all the movies, you know, it's it's a, it's decades, it's years, upon, like, like I said, I'm in this for the long term, I'm not in this for money, I'm not in this for power, I'm not in this for influencing, even though I think all those things are important, they're inherently masculine traits that we should all strive for, but at the end of the day, I'm in this for reasons that are way outside of this year, 10, 20 years. I'm trying to change the culture. You're trying to change the culture. We're all trying to change the culture. And that takes place with every tiny little seemingly irrelevant idea. Every seemingly tiny irrelevant essay that you share and podcast and stuff like that. Change takes place on the lowest level. It takes place on each post and you know, video and uh, collaboration and stuff like that. It's not so glorious in the sense of like, awe-inspiring, but rather um, minuscule and seemingly worthless, but yet valiant and potent at the same time. I use the word potent a lot. A lot of my audiences understand what that means. I would rather have potency over volume because I believe that potency and power in acts and words and deeds are much more powerful than striving for, like, trying to make a big act, a big, grandiose act over, like, uh, a short period of time but let me um in the context of solar ascension masculinity strength and weakness arthur what have you seen the norm what have you seen it uh what have you seen it as so far let's say in the context of like being a man or being strong what have you seen so we're, we're speaking on the norm let's say in the past decade yeah leading up to this very recent shift yeah yeah so you see, all right. So you see the general norm being a pretty sad state of affairs. You see a completely fragmented, diminished, ruined. Like if I check a couple boxes, I'm pretty square. Like oh, you know, especially being uh, in the Bay Area where there's just tech everywhere. It's like oh, I have the tech job. I have the two hundred thousand dollar a year tech job. And since I have that, I'm pretty squared away. As long as I don't fuck that up, where. That means I can order my Uber Eats, and I can have my 401k, and I can go to happy hour and drink some really garbage IPAs that I think are really good. And then, you know, I can travel a little bit, and, you know, 
I have a wife who's probably pretty hot and I have some kids. I sort of raise them. They may or may not do drugs and go to college and absolutely go berserk. And it's like, it's, it's really, really depressing. Um, and I, though, that was actually the whole, I talked about that my first, very first podcast. I talked about when I wrote the poem, Blood and Rain, I was like, I was looking around and with the exception of my father and a couple other people, I was wondering where all the men were. And I was like, this is terrible. Um, and especially being a bartender when, you know, regulars of mine caught wind that I was doing the monk thing, that I was trained to be a professional fighter, that I was writing, they're like, what's that like every day? And I said, there is, like, at the time, I wholeheartedly believe this, and I think a big part of me believes this in certain aspects, but not in, in its entirety. I said, the most beautiful thing for me is when I break my next threshold. Is that when it, like, I get over through some threshold and I'm on to the next level, I'm almost, I'm almost brought to tears. I'm, I have this... I have this I have this level of rage that doesn't consume me, but I just control it just enough. And it's, it's this, this raw thumos, this raw energy, that, that to me is beautiful. And that to me is what's been missing and it's been driving me nuts. And that's, that's sort of where I see the state of man. It's like they're settling. They're settling for having one box to get everything squared away so I can watch, I can watch sports ball. I can do this. Oh, it's pretty sweet. Got a few beers, man. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, watching the game with the boys, you know, do, do a little, you see drugs everywhere too. It's just, it's just substance abuse. It's reliance. It's degeneracy. It's not fostering toughness and it's sad. Yeah. The, uh, you're noted, I, I imagine that, okay, so this is something that I talked about in my episode also, but as a bartender, don't you ever just sit there and look at men in your bar and just be like, what the fuck are you? You look at their posture. <laughs> You look at their body composition, you look at their chin, you look at the soft, cute, rosiness of their cheeks, and you're just like, <laughs> like, that's one of the things I talk about in my podcast a lot. I'm like, sit on a park bench, no, mall, sit in a mall bench for 20 minutes, and look at the men who walk past you, the saddest, most loppy, cute, and quirky men you can possibly imagine, the little low T, the estrogenics that you see within them, that is the new norm. Well, everything that you talked about and everything that I just said, that's the new norm, but we're changing that through culture. Um, but have you noticed that in your bar? Like, I don't know if you're the type of person to, it sounds like you are, to analyze people in your bar and you just look at them and you're like sickened by their physiques and the way that they communicate with other men and other women. You're just like, ugh. Okay, so this started in drama school too, where, you know, we're we're assessing people like we're we're trying to make blank canvases of ourselves. So we're we're optimizing movement. Like there's one test that we had to do where we had to stand for 20 minutes, and it's like, look, most of you can't even stand. Most of you can't just stand. That is that is that is a sorry state of affairs for humanity and their bodies. And then then we then we started walking, and then to correct our walks, it's like, look at look at how many of you can't walk. None of you know how to walk. None of you. And then it's like, okay, oh, do, do, do this. Go, go to your fucking Starbucks or your Pret-a-Manger or um, eat, you know, all these very British places where you get, you know, sandwiches and coffees and just sit at the window and look at people walk and people watch. And I was like, oh, God. It's just, and then so th that heightened even further being a bartender because you're up close and personal and you're conversing. So it's like, it's an even better assignment to people watch. But... 
you know, I, I would try to not get cynical about it because I'm also like coming from a Christian side. I'm like, I'm trying to see the best of people and trying to bring that out and, and raise it accordingly. But, but I, I remember distinctly too. It's like also the sort of, the sort of, there's also like a, there's an in-between, but between the men that we're talking about that we're trying to foster and we're trying to show at the solar ideal and the men that you mentioned, the sort of rosy cheek, and that's sort of the bros, right? <laughs> Especially you see if, if they're in college or they're just out of college and they're in tech and they're like, we're backwards hats and they're sort of like, especially you're, you're on the West Coast too, so you know what I'm talking about. But to answer your question, yes, I have noticed that in spades as a bartender. Yeah, because that's one of the things that, okay, so I noticed the same thing as a drill sergeant, okay? So I noticed that when I talk to these new men that come into my platoon and I get them on day one and they come straight off the bus, dude, if I talk to them, like, directly and maybe I raise my voice a little bit, you know what they do? They don't, like, they cry. They break down. Their knees shake. They look scared. And I'm like, where the fuck have you been for the last, like, but anyway, my point is, is that, like, the, 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 man, the men, the boys that are coming into my platoon, their physiognomy, the way that they communicate with each other is all thrown out of loop. It's feminized because we live in a primarily feminized Western world, right? We have women teachers. We have, you know, uh, primarily a lot of the fathers and, and men are at work all day. It's the industrial revolution and female that and female that. So a lot of the, the men that I get into my platoon, they're, they're pretty much feminized. So my job is to masculinize them, right? So like when you talk to your customers directly, like a man, and they're like, ah, you know, they're like, ah, they get all blushed and they get all nervous, whether it's externally or internally. Um, the same thing happens with my trainees where I notice that they get flustered and they don't know how to react anymore. Men don't know how to communicate to, with each other anymore. I respect men who communicate directly, promptly who don't talk like little girls like like this and then uh, and very friendly and who stare at me in the eyes and they have correct posture and their chest is open to me that's what i respect that's why i like the martial arts world so much like muay thai and shih is because that's how men communicate outside of like trying to kill each other um but I, I was wondering because as if i was a bartender i would be constantly looking at people and i'd be constantly analyzing their physiognomy and their communication um, because I find that stuff super interesting. Uh, one of, I think, uh, like one of the things that sparked my interest in starting a podcast the most was sitting on a park bench and staring at essentially what we're talking about, which is the new norm, which is weakness, which modern society wants to tell you that weakness is okay, that it's okay to be weak, that it's okay to be overly sensitive, that it's okay that if you're a man to be feminine. Gentlemen, I'm telling you right now, that's not okay. That's programming. That's brainwashing. They want to make you weak. They want to make you docile. They want to make you into a good little boy because guess what? Good little boys, good little chimpanzees are easier to control. And this is why, if you don't mind the tangent, this is why a lot of people are nervous to come together under the solar ideal because they know the repercussions, the consequences that come with strong men gathering. Because strong men gathering always led to a power imbalance and change. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of anonymous accounts out there that I've talked to that they said they're afraid to uh, show their face or their physique or their body or whatever because they don't want to get uh, pinged by the FBI or whatever, which I'm like, they're not. Um, but uh, it's because they're afraid that they're going to get trapped or that they're going to get thrown in prison or whatever, which I find really interesting or 
find really interesting and fascinating. But yeah, the new norm is not the norm, guys. Like what you're looking at right now, this isn't real life. This no. is facade. No, this this is this is a haze. This is a haze that has been, you know, I don't wanna again, this isn't <laughs> we're not gonna get in the weeds of the sort of malicious entities that are out there. But this is deliberate. This is plain and simple deliberate. Like like Forrest said, it's much easier to control people who are just good little boys. So that's what they are pushing. Now, you know, you, we all, like, you are a Lord of the Rings fan. I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and, but you, you see this, you see I'm all like, yeah, I get all excited. You're like, oh, we're talking Lord of the Rings now? Cool, awesome. <laughs> Um, but you, you, you see, there's a lot of emotion in Lord of the Rings amongst, amongst men, but there's also a lot of, a lot of mightiness and directness to back it up. These aren't drones. These aren't machines. These are people who are capable of, of boundless emotion, but they have the strong, they have, they have the strength and the fortitude to be able to ring all of that in. They don't stop feeling. I think that's, that's a, that's a really important point too. It's like, it's it's not necessarily the amount of emotion that's around it, but it's the lack of strength to pair with it. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Are you? Oh, go ahead. Are you talking about? Um, are you t- okay? So you're talking about in the context of Lord of the Rings, right? How you're talking about like, let's say the Rohirrim or the Riders, where they're they're still strong, but yet they are emotional at the same time. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm like, so you could another another example could be you know the. In, ga- the, in Game of Thrones, the the Brotherhood without banners, like all these, this sort of camaraderie, it's like this this brotherhood. It, it is a very emotional thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing is like a lot of people think that okay, because this kind of ties into Stoic philosophy, and this kind of ties into, but a lot of people think that this is how far, like how far we still have to go. But a lot of people think that being a man is about being unemotional. When in actuality, like the more I truly embrace masculinity. I feel more emotional, but I feel more emotional towards the right things, right? So I feel less emotional towards, let's say, a woman rejecting me in Barnes & Noble because I made a cold approach. I feel less emotional towards something that went wrong in my life. I feel more emotional towards the embrace of glory. I feel more emotional towards watching Braveheart or Saving Private Ryan or watching somebody you know, try to save one of their brothers in Fallujah or something like that. It's just basically about reallocating your fucks and yeah. reanalyzing your emotional state. Um, and there's nothing wrong with watching The Return of the King and watching the Battle of Pelennor Fields and watching King Theoden rush the orcs and feeling a little emotional when Howard Shore's soundtrack comes on, okay? <laughs> <laughs> like, I've watched, that I've watched that so many times and each and every single... That's why I share it. Because it appeals to something deep inside of our psyche. It appeals to when you look at that scene, the Battle of Pelennor Fields. When you look at King Theoden saying when he's talking about death and when he's saying "Die now, ride now," you know the great dawn rising and all this stuff like that. That's because it's appealing to who we are as men. That's because it's appealing to our psyche, the camaraderie, fighting for a greater ideal, fighting a battle that is justified, that is valiant that is heroic that's why we watch lord of the rings and tolkien and we feel something it's because 
it's less about fantasy and it's more about a prophetic vision for a future. That's why Tolkien is a genius. He's not a writer. He's a fortune teller. Dude. Yeah, crazy, huh? I thought the same thing. When I watched Lord of the Rings for the probably the 900th time, I realized that he wasn't just telling a story because it was so cute, you know, the Ents and Frodo baggage. No, it was like a psychic projection of what we have to do to overcome the forces of evil that were, that will and have been coming at us for dozens upon dozens of years now. When you watch The Return of the King, you are watching essentially what's going to happen in the future, which is whether it's through an archetypal figure or a literal figure, a return of the king. It's not just a fantasy story. It's a vision. And when you watch Lord of the Rings, you watch Tolkien's writings, more specifically read the books, you'll see that Tolkien um, was prophesizing the future. And it's weird shit, man. Yeah, dude, especially when you when you read about the background of Tolkien, there's, like, a lot of interesting, like, religious and mystical shit that he grew up with. I'm like, oh, okay, this is starting to make more sense. But, so, you're, it was funny, is you're almost, you're almost speaking about the meme, and this is something I, I definitely wholeheartedly agree with you, and my life has reflected as such and whatnot, like, that meme, like, I can't believe he didn't cry. It's a Wojak meme. I can't believe he didn't cry at Titanic. He has no emotion that he see like the Chad crying at like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or Creed. Oh, <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I had this dumpster fire. Okay, I shouldn't say that. I'm not, it's getting hyperbole here. But like I had this relationship that wasn't the best. All right. I had this one. Actually, it was, a, it was one relationship I had in the evangelical church that I will not get into. But she was like, you really don't cry? I was like, what are you talking about, like a, like a friend, or what are you talking about? No, no, <laughs> Sorry, it, 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 it was a girl I dated, in, it was a girl I dated in the church, but in it, it, before I was Orthodox, it's, it's, it's a long story, and it, it, it's not really a story worth telling, honestly, but there was an instance where she was like, man, you really didn't cry? I forgot, you watched some, some chick flick, oh, like, right? Notebook? No, I, I still have not seen The Notebook, which is awesome, I don't know how I've, I've avoided that, but it's been awesome. Um... But it, but it was like it was so I don't I don't remember it was some chick flick and she's like you really don't cry at things like that I was like no she's like do you cry I'm like I like not at sad things yeah <laughs> and she's like what do you, what do you cry at? like I actually kind of cry when I'm moved she's like what are you what are you talking about and I was like I mean when when Matt Damon was making the speech in Invictus like heads up listen to your country. Three minutes, three minutes. They're all singing "God Bless Africa," and I was like, I, I was getting choked up at a half. She's like, yeah. that, she's like, that's what you cried. I'm like, yes, that's what I cried about. <laughs> and like, you don't understand. And you know what? I don't think you want to understand either. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go lift some weights or something. Um, <laughs> but I remember. Okay, so one one thing, you know, I'll, I'll share this with the room with the podcast. I consistently cry like a bitch. Every single time I watch Creed, without fail, there's a scene, like, for those of you who haven't watched it, you're living under a rock, so I'm going to spoil it right now. Um, it, 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 it obviously echoes, since it's a rocky offshoot, there's a scene where it's the 10th round, 11th, 11th round, actually. He gets knocked on the canvas cold. And there's flash, ooh, I'm getting choked up, I'm just editing right now. There's... <laughs> There's, he, gets, he gets flashes of his life. He gets flashes of his mother, of the training, of Rocky having cancer and taking care of him, 
of him having troubles with this girl, and he's he's the bastard son of Apollo Creed, who came to Rocky to fulfill his destiny as a boxer. He tried avoiding. He tried doing, tried doing the finance job like I tried doing the tech job. And he's fighting in England, where I started fighting. And he has all these flashes, and there's sound. And then it gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And he sees this. There's this one flash. Fuck. <laughs> There's this one flash of his father, Apollo Creed, sort of with this smile on his face, dancing around his opponent. And it's completely silent. Almost like, but you can maybe faintly hear a heartbeat, like a flatline heartbeat. And right when he sees that flash, this almost holy imaged, etched in time, masculinity of heroism, of fatherhood, of the solar ideal, right? That was the last thing he sees right before he wakes up out of nowhere. And just like rises up and just throws himself up, up, up off of the canvas and standing. I cry like a bitch every single time when I watch that because I'm moved beyond belief. Yeah, because you know that that's essentially like a metaphor for life. Absolutely. And I'm not trying to be cheesy here. I'm not trying to like be like, uh, you know, this is it. It's, <laughs> it's like you know, this is this is the whole premise of this episode. Like what you just said is essentially what you're talking about is the abyss like when you are down and out when you are at what what uh i forgot i think it's joseph campbell or no robert bly he talks yeah. about the time of ashes when you're completely beat down when you're rubble when you're nothing that's when your money's going to be made that's when your power is going to be had there's a quote by joseph campbell that is kind of relevant to what you just said about creed he says one thing that comes out of myths is that at the bottom of the abyss comes the voice of salvation, which is essentially what well, the voice of salvation um, is essentially what we're talking about, how Creed saw the, you know, the father figure, like the solar ideal where he got his strength. Um, but it's the black moment is the moment when the real message of transfer transformation is going to come at the darkest moment comes the light. So it's like what you're talking about right now, that the reason why it appeals to you besides it probably being a cinematic masterpiece is because it appeals to you knowing that the whole point of why you're here as a human is to know that you have the possibility when you go as low as you possibly can as you, in the abyss when you're most physically beat down when you're most depressed when you want to fucking put a bullet through your brain that's when you need to pay attention that's when like in Creed, you need to wake up. There's a reason why in the abyss, let's say the Hobbit, for example, that's why the Guardian is a dragon, and that's why it always guards treasure. It doesn't guard a pile of shit. It guards something <laughs> most valuable. So like in Creed, like your story that you told about how you were blackpilled, like I was blackpilled, it all ties in together, even with this episode, to knowing that when you are fucking on your way out that's when your true development is going to come but there are scenes in certain movies too like what you just said and this is a funny thing that women will never really understand where we see those scenes like in braveheart when he yells freedom <laughs> or <saving laughs> Ryan, when tom hanks is shooting his pistol and his last dying breath down the barrel of that tank there's a reason why we look at that we're like because we see that within ourselves it's like a, a, a projection of our psyche more than a cinematic piece you know what i mean absolutely absolutely that's 
it's it's so male that like you, you, if, if <laughs> there's there's probably some guy out there that's like I got a chick who does get it like good for you man hold on to her you know like that's that's great um, and that, that 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 could be a, a potential whole side tangent of of women and selecting women and red pills for you whatever manosphere right but that's yeah it's art's a mirror art is without a single shadow of a doubt a mirror. And good and art that isn't a mirror isn't really art. It's just it's it's a shitty attempt at art, to be abundantly honest. Um, and there's pro- <laughs> all the people who made the art that we're talking about probably started out making some shitty attempts at art. So, all you <laughs> circling back content creators, yeah, you're gonna make some shitty art. That's fine. That's that's absolutely fine. You're a gonna lot of shitty art. yeah, it's it's gonna be bad, and then you're eventually gonna get there, and it's fine. Um, and that's we want you to get there, so keep failing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of the mirror we need to look at to move forward, to get to the point where we want to go. Because you talked about this norm where we're at, and I think we're just scratching the surface of, we, we are, we, we're knocking on the door, we're about to kick down the door of the Age of Heroes. What do you think that's going to look like physically? Like, we're seeing it in the content sphere. We're seeing it in the culture sphere. Where do you think that's going to go? I'm, I'm curious. So, this is kind of like... It's, it's either going to be one of two things. Like I said, like we both said, it's either going to be very dramatic, because humans are dramatic creatures, and we like theatrics, we like big explosions, we like big stories, and it's going to be possibly in the physical manifestation of like a war or a battle, whether it's a civil whether it's uh, international, I have no idea. Um, or, but my gut tells me that it's probably going to be less dramatic than a lot of us maybe wanted, and it's going to be more, like I, like we said, cultural, more slow, more generational. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be slower. I think it's going to be a slower draw. I think it's going to be unnoticeable to those who aren't paying attention. But there's always the possibility of it being something kind of crazy, something, a quick power shift. I don't know what that's going to look like, nor do I really care, to be honest, because it's going to happen no matter what. It it could be tomorrow, it could be next year, it could be 10 years from now. I don't care how it happens, to be honest. I know it sounds bad. I don't care how it happens, but I know it will happen. It always happens. Power rebalances and shifts back and forth. But um, my gut tells me it's going to be very slow. And that's fine, too. You know, I think I agree for the most part. I think, you know, people in the sphere know renaissance of men. He's talking about this is a renaissance of men. You know, the renaissance was a generation. The renaissance wasn't this conflict. It was the opposite. Like, actually, it is a conflict, but it's not, we're whipping out swords and hacking the shit out of each other. No, it's not, it's not it. Um, I, you know, when you said this one dramatic event, I could see, because we, we keep having these, apparently in the winter solstice, I don't know what goes on the summer solstice, but apparently the winter solstice, that always seems to be the big one. You have these complete big shifts consciously that sort of contribute towards this long gradual thing that you're talking about i'm wondering if there's like a super shift i could potentially see that but 
I don't know. I, I think I think for the most I, part you're right. It's possible. That's the thing too. Is like you just don't know. It's possible. Like you said, the Renaissance, like Golden Age, took place over like what. I don't I'm not a historian, but a long fucking time, right? <laughs> yeah. Whereas you look at some, like, power shifts that could take place over, like, a year or a couple years, like a quick, fast war or a battle. I have no idea, but I pre- I'm prepared for both. Like I said in my episodes, like, I am prepared for the long game of this shift of power, which will happen. I am 100% sure it will happen. And I'm also prepared for the short term, which is a battle or a war. And uh, I have my ammo stash, I have my AR, I have my pistols, I have my, you know, uh, all sorts of my shotguns, I, I, I've prepped for, for years to come. I'm prepared for both shifts of power. Um, but I don't know what that's going to look like. And it, I don't know. I say I don't care, but I do care, actually. And it does make me nervous because we have to start really defining, you know, like what you and I talked about. We have to start getting these content creators because these people think that they're just content creators and that they don't make a difference, maybe to a certain extent. They're just guys on Instagram, but in actuality, they are a huge deal in my eyes. We need to all get together and we need to start defining what the solar ideal actually is because if you look at the history, if you look at history and if you look at those who embrace the solar ideal and both the physical and spiritual manifestation, they've always made the biggest impact on society in one aspect or another. Every historical figure has always appealed to the solar ideal in one way or another. So we have to start gathering these content creators and we have to start defining what it is we're actually doing because that way when shit actually pops off, you know, immediately or long-term, we know where it is we're going. Like, what is it that we're actually doing? That's why these episodes are important because we need to start really figuring out who we are as not only individuals, but who we are as a group because you can't the lone wolf is a dead one like John Donovan or Jack Donovan always says yeah but I don't know what it's going to look like man I have no idea but it's going to happen I could feel it in the air I felt it six months ago I felt it in a wave I felt it in the air I, I looked up in the sky and I, I saw it. it's like it's 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 happening and it's an exciting time to be alive really yeah, it really is it really is it and that's is. Yeah, it's I'm 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 loving every day right now, honestly. Can't remember the last time I said that with my yeah, deeply cynical self. Like not really cynical, but like negative, like critical, like alright, what's what's the problem today? What what what's what do I need to tackle today? Like what's what does I need to overcome today? Like almost talked about this invincible, like balancing positive and negative thinking. There's a lot of benefits to negative thinking, but I'm not gonna lie. I wake up every day refreshed. I wake up every day excited because of the age that we're living in well you know why right it's because we know where we stand as men this is why i i made that quote i said the man in the middle stands for nothing it's because you and i know where we stand we know where we're going when you when you're in the middle you don't know if you're on this side or that side or you don't know what ideal you strive for you don't know where you're going you're you're fucking lost you're blinded so you and I, when we wake up every single morning, we know, boom, 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 this is what we got to do. This is what we're going to do. This is where we're going. That's why it's exciting to wake up in the morning. That's why it's exciting to be a part of this. Because now, finally, finally, after all these years, we see where we're going. We see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's fucking, that's why it's exciting for me to wake up in the morning. That's why it's exciting for you to wake up in the morning. Because we know where we are now. We know where we stand in history. 1,000%. Absolutely. And... This is where we're at, guys. This is where all of you stand right now. So you need to make every single little decision. 
towards this direction. Don't get all freaked out when you make the wrong decision. Because you have a thousand, 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 thousand more. But you know where you're supposed to go. And if you turn your back on that now, all you FOMO guys, you're certainly missing out. You and I could speak till kingdom come, I can tell, and we most likely will in the future. But I want to shift to some questions we got, because if I have you on the podcast and people say, hey, man, I submitted a question for your podcast at Forrest Monday and you didn't answer it, I'm going to, you know, that's going to be hell to pay. Um, so, folks, a number of you guys had some, some actually pretty awesome questions uh, this, this time around. You, actually, you guys never disappoint, so I shouldn't say that. You always have very, very good questions. Um... And a lot of these we've, we've, we've touched upon, but uh, just drive by through these, honestly. Um, first one was how to counter the, if what I'm doing isn't hurting anybody, it's fine excuse that people used to be lazy. Yeah, I hate that shit, man. I hate that shit. That's the quote. <laughs> I just got mad. Like, I hate that shit. <laughs> uh, what you do matters. What you do matters. You're a node within a network, like Jordan Peterson always says. You have a ripple effect. What you, you do affects 100 people, affects 1,000 people. It matters. And when somebody says, uh, what I do doesn't matter, just leave people alone type type attitude, you're fucking, like, you're, you're, you're just co- you're coping out. You're lazy at that point. You, you refuse to see the facts. You refuse to see the truth. Um, yeah, I'll just answer that question by saying, what was the question again? Sorry, I got lost in the room. Oh, no, you... so emotionally charged. <laughs> what, what was it again? Let me let me summarize that one. It was a uh, if what I'm doing isn't hurting anybody, or how to counter the if what I'm doing isn't hurting anybody, it's fine mentality. It's the excuse that people use to be lazy. Yeah, I mean to be lazy. I mean fine. I don't know. Like, what do you say to that? Like, what, what I. Because the context of that question is if they're talking to somebody and they say, well, it's not hurting anybody, then, like, what are you going to do? Try to convince them that what they are doing is hurting themselves, therefore hurting those around? Like, I don't know. That person is, like, the only thing you can do at that point is just set the example. I I don't know. Like, that's, uh, yeah, that's that's, that's a tough one to answer. Is there anything else you want to add on to that? Because I've encountered those people before. I'm like, all right, well, then. Have fun being a fat piece of shit. <laughs> um, like, really? So, okay, this I, I, I touched upon this with Evo Academy when he came on. This is where I think the indirect efforts are more powerful. Where it's if you, like, hey, man, if you do this, this, and this, you're actually affecting this. Like, well, that's not true. You're just going to get this massive pushback, and it's useless. It's like, it's, like it's, it's, it's the physicalized version of arguing on Reddit. That's might as well what it, that might as well be what it is. Um, so, and I did this as a bartender, especially, I was, I was speaking with you briefly about how they're like, these guys who came from martial arts, you know, fighting and military backgrounds, and it was funny, and I mentioned this before, but, on a previous episode, but one guy sort of took a look at me, let's call him Blaine, because that's a typically Californian surfer guy name, and that's the kind of guy he was, he says, man, look at Arthur over there, this is when I was still a bar back before I got promoted to bartender, he's like, He's hearing about all this girl drama that we're going through, and this guy's just like, nah, I ain't got none of that. I'm like, yeah, dude, it feels great, man. <laughs> um, and he's like, that guy's just going, and like, Arthur, you're not going home after this shift, are you? I'm like, no. I'm like, where are you going? The gym. See, this is what I'm talking about, man. Most guys would be trying to get laid. And, and I sort of started to not only set an example, but I also started to plant 
just a little seed in them for them to start questioning. And my room, my roommate who was in the Marines, he says, "If it doesn't make a goddamn difference if I jerk off or whatever," and I was just like, "You know, it's funny when I do right by myself. You know, there are practices I used to do that used to just hurt me, and I thought they just hurt me, but." I also wasn't putting my best self forward, so I was actually bringing a net negative towards the situation. Yeah. And then when I started doing right by myself and bringing a net positive by myself, I started bringing a net positive to the environment around me. I, what I've noticed, man, just I, I say this in passing, like literally as I'm leaving, is like as I'm putting on my jacket, just to, it's almost like a TV series. It's like, yeah, you know, it's funny. What I do in my personal life on my own, I've noticed, has, does have a ripple effect and does affect the others around me. And then I just walk away. I don't sit, I don't stand there and argue with them. And I let them marinate on it. And then I remember I had this, I was telling him my, my no girls policy at the time. And he had all this girl drama. And he, co- he came up to me one day and he's like, okay, I'm starting to get your no girls policy. <laughs> and it's because I planted these kinds of seeds. It's like, if we're the example, that's great. We set the example awesome. But I think the way we bridge the gap is planting seeds with that indirect effort. Yeah, I think it's mostly indirect because you can't sit there and tell somebody, oh, you stop, stop eating so much, piece of lard. And like, that doesn't really work. People don't listen to that. Um, but indirectly, like you said, setting the example um, works really well. My 600-pound life, have you ever watched that show? No, no, I haven't. Horrifying show, you should watch it. So basically he talks uh, – <laughs> Uh, my 600 pound life is about people who obviously live a 600 pound life they're more morbidly obese guess what they were eating all day in their beds and they weren't harming anyone but then they have a caretaker and then their family starts getting worried about them dying you know overnight by a heart attack and then a paramedic crew of seven people has to come pick them up to take them to the hospital and one of the paramedics injures their back and is out of work and their family can't be fed anymore like even when you don't do anything when you think that what you're doing doesn't matter and it doesn't affect other people, chances are it does. Because, hey, congratulations, buddy. You're fucking human, and we rely on each other whether you like to admit it or not. And at the end of the day, you're going to interact with other humans. But, yeah, that's a good question. Um, indirect method. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like like you like, th- those things can harm yourself, and therefore it gets to a point where it snowballs that other people do need to oh. take care of you. And then, like, you can make the argument, like, well, what if I have, like, enough control surrounding it to you know just block it from affecting other people like well then you're spending useless energy to negate something that is fucking you over to begin with so then you 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 you're conscious enough of it this enough of it at this point that you know it's wrong and you're spending way too much energy on it um exactly okay all right what's the next question um (laughs) do you think we could be greater than our ancestors (laughs) um Yes, I think, like what we talked about, not to get too serious on this question, but I think the ultimate goal of you being a torchbearer of their torch is to be greater than them. Now, will you live up to it? Maybe, maybe not. At the end, at the end of the day, I think we should all strive to be better than our ancestors. That's what they wanted. Like, isn't that what you want for your son? There's a saying that says you should always strive to be better than your fathers, and your father should always want you to be better than them. Yes. Absolutely, yes. Next question. Um, Next question. Plain and simple, yes. Uh, what is the ball tanning routine? That that cracked me up, honestly. <laughs> the, oh, uh, so the ball tanning routine is I don't have one. 
because I know, I know, I, everybody right now, Flow Mode is Sobra. Everyone else is like, oh, what the fuck? But I actually don't sun my balls. I red light my balls. So I feel like that's close enough. But um, once some, I live in the mountains, guys. Like, I don't see an abnormally large amount of sun for most of the year. I see probably, like, I don't know, uh, 60% of the year I have, like, okay, decent sun. But I want to get into it. I've heard of the benefits, whether it's a placebo or not. I don't give a shit. But as for right now, it's only red light. Yeah, I mean, it sounds awesome. I've heard about it from multiple people. Um, I live with roommates right now. And if I just go to the backyard and just strip naked and sun my balls, you know, there's going to be some repercussions to that. So I don't have one either. Uh, that's a, yeah, it's like, I don't know. When I do it, I tried it a few times. Don't get me wrong. I've laid on the side of a mountain. And just like let my balls hang out and I'm like oh god I was like this feels somebody's gonna I think I was traumatized from like seven years ago when I was in the Redwood National Forest and I was peeing and then some women came out of the trail and like saw my dick as I was peeing and then ever since then I'm like oh, oh god I can't do this but yeah try the red light if you guys if you guys can't go out in the sun try the red light and on your balls I don't know if it actually works I don't know if it's placebo honestly I haven't done any research it's kind of like the egg slonking thing it's like it seems cool and maybe it is cool and it works but I don't do it yeah I, I, I egg slonk with precaution actually I use uh, Flomotus's jet fuel recipe so shout, shout out to Flomotus I like that one I like that one I, I will admit that one is good yeah no it, it tastes good it's, it's real good and uh, actually Stoic Oak he's uh, one of the one of the younger guys, like one of the younger, not younger guys, but younger accounts that's sort of on the way up, basically. It's not even on the way up. That's, that's, that sounds like a come up thing, like there's some clout thing. No, no, he's, he's a new creator, plain and simple, and he's a great creator. Um, Stoic Oak. Um, and he's like, here's my take on raw eggs. If you're worried about salmonella, put the eggs in boiling water for just five seconds because the salmonella dwells on the shell, and that'll get rid of it so you can have raw, all the benefits without all the negatives. I was like, oh, that's great. Um, That's good. so I, so I do, I, I do that with the eggs and I it take the jet fuel, but I'm not slonking like 16 eggs at a time. Like, no thanks. Um, yeah, yeah I think raw eggs are great. And I think, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get the red, I'm not try. I will eventually get the red light thing now that I'm getting more and more access to my funds now that things are opening back up. So I'm going to give the red light thing a go. So keep you guys posted I like about red that. Flow mode this shout out to raw milk. I actually have been incorporating raw milk back into my diet and uh, still coke, I just give you a follow. So cool. All right, what's the next question? Sweet. Uh, where do you, he said in quotes, good men go when the masculine ideals finally become outlawed by the West? Uh, they go extinct. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, that's not half wrong because the heroic ideals is a part of, it's essential for masculine psychology and development. And I mean, when when the heroic ideal goes out the window, uh, Western men congregate elsewhere. I mean, plain and simple. We'll just go somewhere else. I don't know where that is. I don't know what it's going to look like. But heroic men, men who strive for the heroic ideal, meaning masculine men, strong men, fit men, capable men, responsible men, self-reliant men, they don't just fucking curl up and die. They go somewhere else and they create a new world. We've been doing that for hundreds, for thousands and thousands of years. So, uh, yeah, we don't just go extinct. We just go somewhere else. That answers the question. Yeah, we're not we're not going to be like, you know what? It's a wrap. It's been real, guys. No, yeah. no, absolutely. we're done. We're done. <laughs> no, I mean, okay. We go so somewhere else. I I got like a, a threefold answer to that. One, it's like okay, talking about the West. It's not going to get that point in the West. I know it seems like that now, but it's not going to get there. I I it's can really wholeheartedly good. say that. 
if it does, if I'm wrong and you're like, oh, Blood and Rain lied to me, like, whatever. Um, you son of a bitch. I, I, my last words, Blood and Rain, I couldn't, no, please. Um, the Eastern Bloc's looking pretty good uh, because they fucked around and found out about communism, so... You know, Putin's banning GMOs, and they're fostering the military, trying to have foster traditional values. Poland, um, Belarus, Ukraine, all those countries. Brazil, Bolsonaro's hilarious. That guy is hilarious. Wait, who? Uh, the Prime Minister of Brazil, Bolsonaro. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, he's like, he, he kept everything open. He's like, you don't want to wear a mask, and he's like, only fucking bitch-ass people wear masks or something like that. Oh, I love that guy. Champion, absolute champion. Yeah, wearing a mask is low-T. Yeah. Wear it for, because you think that you're not going to... Okay, I don't want to get to that. <laughs> that's, that that's gonna... I got all mad again. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> I am the one guy on BART without a mask. When I go to work from uh, Oakland to San Francisco... You, like, you got a dick on your, your head. Yeah. <laughs> literally, people will look at me and like, motion, where's your mask? And I like literally just stare yeah. at them. And then, I, and then they, stop, they stop doing it. And I'm like, that's what I thought. Um, oh my god. Uh, see, I forgot. I always forget you're from California. And for you guys listening to this, uh, California is the absolute worst about masks. I've had people literally try to fight me in post offices because I haven't been wearing a mask. So be thankful you live in Montana and nobody says anything to you about wearing a mask because here it's a religious symbol. Okay, and rent. Yeah, it's, yeah. This, this, is, this, is, this is the lion's den. Well, they're not even lions. This is the coward's den, plain and simple. Um, and then the, the third answer, if it does get that bad and everywhere's fucked, well, you fight to the death. Plain and simple. Um, you, you die a glorious death as a beautiful, young, tan man. Good to go. Absolutely. And for you older guys out there, you die as like an Obi-Wan sage. Also cool. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. Uh, okay, this is, this is another one sort of related. Where do we congregate? That's an interesting question. Very, very immediate, actionable question. Uh, is it, what is he talking about? Is he talking about a meeting in the near future? Because I can answer that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, let's, let's, let's have that answer. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. I got this one. All right. So here is an, uh, for those of you guys who made it this far into the podcast, you're going to have a little treat. Okay. How far are we in? Three hours? All right. So basically, yeah, here's, here's my plan for this summer. What a perfect time to have a congregation. I want to put on something called the soul seminar or some other fucking catchy name. I don't know where I get, let's say, 20 to 30 young, motivated, inspired men within the community. We meet up in a venue somewhere, whether that's an Airbnb or uh, a meeting or, like, whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. It could be behind some dumpsters. I don't give a shit. <laughs> and we're going to have a uh, two-day-long seminar, one-day-long seminar about this stuff. But right now, our location is looking like it's going to be Seattle, Washington. I know that doesn't make any sense, but trust me, I thought about it. It does make sense. What a perfect place to meet for the solar ideals. But uh, yeah, we're going to congregate this summer. It'll happen. Dude. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> I am potentially moving to Seattle. So all you, you're probably going to hear this, this one final, like Oakland, you broke my heart, but I know you'll be back. But for now I'm in Seattle type thing, whatever. Um, yeah, I'm moving to Seattle. I, I've talked at nauseum with Flo Moda's so like, hey, I'm thinking about moving there. He's like, I'm waiting, bro. I'm waiting. He just, he just sends it like these very short, like just <laughs> profound, like I'm waiting. <laughs> and, then, and then he pushed shit like with his chainsaw. And then I commented like, hey, Flo, I'm thinking about moving to Seattle. And he's just like, yeah, man, do it. There's chainsaws and trees and, and raw milk and, and overalls. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. 
No, he's not. And it's a, it's a great place. Like, yeah, a lot of a lot of you're thinking like that's basically San Francisco. But like, when you immediately step out of Seattle, there's mountains yeah. and there's there's amazing fishing. There's amazing unique marine life, unique to Puget Sound. And there's all these amazing things in the state of Washington. And guess what? During the summer, it's like four months of sun. So you're gonna get all the green and the sun. It's perfect. So yeah. for any of you who are like, why is it not in Arizona or Texas? That's why. Am I am I correct in assuming that? I don't want to. That's 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 your baby. So. No, no, that's right. Yeah, Seattle, Seattle summer. Okay, don't get me wrong. Seattle itself kind of sucks, but at the end of the day, it's on Washington, and we'll just fucking take over Washington State. No fucking big deal. Like I said, at the in the end, we win, and that involves taking back Seattle, Washington. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> everyone else, everyone in the audience right now is like, yes. <laughs> Dude, can, but, can, my girlfriend lives in uh, Seattle, and um, I'm there all the time. So I looked at places that we can congregate and meet, like in Leavenworth and uh, mountain air, mountainous regions, and it's it's a nice place, guys. I've thought about. It. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. That's why I'm I'm going to be there at the end of the month. Actually, we'll spoil it. The first in-person podcast is going to be with the one Flo Modus. So um, that's going to be interesting, but. Uh, me, me, Forrest, and Flo have talked about meeting up there, and you know it looks like it's going to be more, far more people than just us, which I'm very excited for. So, yeah, it, I mean, it needs to happen, to be honest, because like what you and I talked about before is like we need to start meeting each other, because if we don't start meeting each other in person, we're going to start getting lost in the weeds on a lot of the stuff that we're talking about right now. So this summer is perfect. Absolutely. Seattle, Washington, Solar Seminar this summer, 2K21, and then, you know, Chattistan, the, the, ca- the entirety of Cascadia becomes Chattistan. There, we take yeah. over, plain and simple. There we go. Um, what's, oh, what's in it? oh, where's, yeah, actually, you just answered, like, the next three questions. Where's the best place to homestead? Cascadia, please, take a seat. Um, oh, are they talking about, like, best, as in, like, the best, or because... Or where I'm homesteading. So my plan is to start a homestead within the next. It's so funny how your goals change. But my, my I want to start a homestead, and my son army in probably Idaho, northern Idaho, towards the Canadian border, in uh, oh god, what am I forgetting? Coeur d'Alene and or Bonneville yeah. Ferry. Uh, Idaho has Idaho has incentives for homesteading and like literally tax incentives and shit like that. So homesteading in Idaho is great. I don't know about any other states, but Idaho has incentives, and I like Idaho, so. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people are figuring out that Idaho's the spot, and it's just a perfect storm of, of, you know, like mountainous territory and homesteading and politics and culture, and to the point where counties in Oregon are voting to be a part of Idaho, which is hilarious. I saw that. You're talking about the Oregon? Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. They're like, fuck Oregon, I'm out. Which sucks, because there's a lot of beautiful parts in Oregon. I just went to Central Oregon, and uh, very beautiful, and very nice people there. And uh, it sucks that it gone to sh- it's gone to shit. And, oh, God, I got hiccups, and Portland sucks now, too. But uh, anyways, yeah, to answer that guy's question, I really like the idea of Idaho. I can't really speak for anywhere else besides like, maybe Montana. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. Idaho, Montana, I mean... The Basque people of my culture, it's like all, it's either you're in San Sebastian cooking up some of the best food in the world or you're in homesteads. Um, so I kind of have like this visceral, like, ooh, I want a homestead. Like, just close yeah. close enough to a city, but I want my own little space far away enough where if I need to fuck off somewhere, I can do that. Um, well, that's the thing. That's the thing that I said too about homesteading. So I got caught up in the homesteading ideal. Let me just break some of your guys' fantasies here, if you don't mind. 
homesteading doesn't have to be off the grid. Okay, it doesn't have to be a survival thing. You don't have to try to survive through each and every single winter. You can live outside of a city, let's say 10, 15 miles, and still have the experience of having a real homestead with real chickens and a real garden without actually being so far away from everything that you're fucking irrelevant. Because you shouldn't be like out of the game until you're in your 60s and 70s, maybe like 50s. Right now, you should be trying to make your dent in the world. And you can't really do that necessarily on a homestead that's 60 miles in the middle of nowhere. Okay, so when I start my homestead, I'm going to be 10 to 15 miles away from the nearest jiu-jitsu gym. I'm going to be 10 to 15 miles away from the nearest grocery store and weightlifting gym. I'm still going to be in the game. Okay, I got to say that because a lot of people think that um, that homesteading just means that like, you're, you're up in the mountains and no. It's, you can still be in the game and have a homestead. It, it doesn't need to be this nuclear fallout. Just like, all right, guys, sports. Oh, doesn't. <laughs> it's 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 been real. We'll see you never. Like, I yeah. hope you hope you guys are yeah, okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't need to be like that. You can still be in the game. Like, life is about playing the game, and you can't play the game if you're 130 miles into the northern Canadian border. Like, it's not gonna work out. But anyways, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that that, that makes the most sense, and also also. The whole like I get I get hating on cities because right now they're breeding degeneracy. But once upon a time, cities were beneficial for a center of ideas, a center of culture, a center of art, a center of innovation, and it will eventually go back to that. It won't be completely controlled by Marxist ideology where it's just just this, these houses of decay. It's not going to be like that forever. I can literally promise that completely. Like not that I have not that I'm in urban planning or anything. Not that there's any literal plans that I have about the city of Oakland or the city of San Francisco. But it's eventually going to flip. And every city, like, you look at the evolution of London, you look at the evolution of Paris, these cities that have been around for, like, centuries upon centuries upon centuries, they weave in and out of dark and golden ages, just like what we're talking about on the grander scheme of things that we're speaking of right now. So being too far from it is to be a little too isolated. And don't, don't, don't get super, like, I hate cities. Like, that's, 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 that's a black pill. And I don't, I don't think people are realizing that. And then, uh, oh, last question. You know, pretty, pretty standard one. Uh, top five books you'd recommend, fiction or nonfiction? Oh, God. Okay, so number one, one of my most favorite books, one of the books that changed my life and honestly started me on this journey was Iron John by Robert Bly. It's more, it's more poetic, it's more metaphorical and mythological than anything, but it's basically about mythology and lessons that are learned from mythology. So... I mean, that's a, I don't know, that's more of a fiction book. Uh, Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield was one of my most favorite books. Uh, It's about the Spartans at the Hotgates. It's really well written. It was actually a book that single-handedly put me back into the military and realized that my mission on this earth is to make men stronger. And that's that book was responsible for me going back in as a drill sergeant. I'm not even joking. Summer of two years ago, I was sitting on my deck. I closed gates to the fire and called the recruiter the, about 10 minutes after I finished that book. And I joined the military and I signed it without even thinking about it. Because that's how much I knew that that's the path that I wanted to be on. Thank you, Stephen, for getting me on that path. Um, some other books that really inspired me, I want to say Grant. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant, the biography, the really fat one that you see in Barnes & Noble. Um, really inspired me. Uh, what else? Jeez, um, dude, I read so much books, I can't even... I, I know this is a very big I, question for you. But, yeah, 
let's just leave it with Iron John and Gates of Fire. That's what I always say. Two of my most favorite books, fiction and nonfiction. There we go. Yeah, that's a hell of a list. I mean, there's just that two right there. And Grant in addition, because he's, he's, he's somehow an overlooked character of history, which I don't understand, but very strange to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, guys, I did a whole podcast on the Book of Five Rings and how I read that every single day. So that should obviously be, that should be pretty obvious to you guys by now. Um, yeah, that's a good one too. Let me, hold on. Let me see what other... Oh, okay. I got another book for you guys. Uh, look at Genghis Kong and the Making of the Modern World. Warhammer series. I think the Warhammer series is awesome for fiction, for, for sci-fi. Um, but yeah, Genghis Khan and the making of the modern world is really interesting. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Because if if we talk about books, I'm gonna be here for the next five hours. That's it. <laughs> just just sixteen part podcast with Blood and Rain and Forrest Munden. Just you know about books. <laughs> yeah, right. Book reviews. That, that that might be onto something there. Actually, Galaxy Fuel's doing that. But before okay, before we get down that rabbit hole, uh, yeah, Book of Five Rings. Uh, Dune. Dune will literally teach you about everything, even though it's fiction. Uh, I wanted to read that. Dude, oh, dude, read it. It's, oh, God. Teach you about... It's so huge, and I, like, ugh, I don't want to feel like getting one into a big book again. No, what, what sucks, too, is, like, there's all these, like, the world building is so potent, honestly, that you're like, oh, God, where did this come from? Then you'll read the other books. It's, it's a rabbit hole. Um, but Dune, it'll teach you about religion, it'll teach you about faith, it'll teach you about leadership it'll teach you about deception it'll teach you about the esoteric it'll teach you about the military just everything it has so many lessons even though it's a book of fiction um yeah book of five rings dune uh can't hurt me by david goggins um yeah you know the, I'm, I'm just gonna go with three two those three plain and simple i don't even want to give five um bronze age mindset i'm looking through my book list right now Bronze Age Mindset is by Bronze Age Pervert. He's just a Twitter guy. Uh, I bought it on a whim. Really fucking good book. Really weirdly written. He writes like a caveman. He's like, I am man in 21st century and bug man come at me. And it's like super weird to get used to, but it's really good. Um, Stephen Ar- 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 Arrhenio's book, Hard Times, Create Strong Men is pretty good. I like Jocko Wheeling's books. I'm just oh, yeah. reading them fucking this point um robert green's books are pretty good but you guys you guys gotta remember that he's kind of a nerd and his job is just to gather data so take what you will from those books but mm. uh mastery 48 laws of power those are all, all pretty good ones uh rational mail is essential if you guys don't have that yet read it like time yesterday and uh by rollo tomasi and yeah let's see what else uh no more mr nice guy essential uh, Way of the Superior Man is kind of wooey, but still pretty good. Yeah, uh, yeah, big time. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, yeah, if you want a solid hero's journey that's completely overlooked for some reason. Guys, the, I, I posted about this before. French literature is probably king. They have 17 Nobel Prizes in literature for a reason. Like, it's it's it's, it's not a mystery. I'm biased because I'm French, but there it is. Um, so, The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. It's somehow obscenely overlooked. But I've never seen, like, so many storylines woven into something that beautiful centering around one hero's journey before. Um, and then I just, I just shared uh, Nip the Bud, Shoot the Kids by Nobel Prize winner Kenzaburo Oe. If you want to see books about how bad humanity can get on a whim, the, the, you know, the, the, I like to microdose black pills a little bit to build the resistance because some black pills can hit you out of left field. Um, 
And so I think nip the bud, shoot the kids. That's that's a nice microdosing black pill for something out of left field. Mm, I'm looking at Count of Monte Cristo right now. That is a massive book. Holy shit. Oh, it's like 700 pages. I, I read the condensed version in seventh grade, and then I read the full version, I think, my sophomore year of college. It was... It, it's amazing. It's, it's absolutely oh, incredible. Amazing, yeah, I mean, it, it's... I think I think people read it less and less because, with the exception of like maybe Harry Potter, people don't know how to pick up books that thick anymore. Yeah. Um, but people are starving for long form content, so hopefully, people are down to read long books. That's my hope. But yeah, Forrest, brother, Jesus Christ, it's been it's been almost three hours. I was like, I think this is my record. This is the longest episode I've ever recorded. I had to pee like four times, <laughs> but that was fun. That was, it was an honor. Um, and obviously you and I will be speaking soon. Um, there's, guys, Solar Seminar, is that what we're calling it for now? Yeah, I think it's just Soul Seminar would be good. Let's uh, shoot for some time late summer in Seattle, Washington, and I think that would be uh, for the first meetup first meetup first meetup in person keep an eye out for that uh, as soon as Forrest lets me know I'll start peddling it as well um, go listen to Forrest podcast and pay for the premium I'm not just saying that because we're friends we're brothers and, and on the solar path like it's it's worth it um, I've found a lot of value in his content and, and if it wasn't for him and the invincible way really I wouldn't be doing any of this so he's 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 the OG and plain and simple you should get you guys should go listen to his premium podcast it's fantastic i appreciate it man and the premium podcast that he's talking about guys it's on patreon i'm not even joking you can sign up for a dollar a month that's like i don't i'm not i don't math in public but that's like three cents a day or something crazy like that like less than 10 cents per day for sure um but uh yeah you can sign up for my patreon for as little as a dollar a month it takes three minutes to sign up. You see, you got to hit him with the $1 a month and three minutes sign up time because people want it instantly. So, I'm like, there you go. Um, <laughs> just Google search Forrest Munden and Patreon. We have all our own mini army in there at this point. We got 300 patrons. I post content just about every single day, if not pretty often. On top of my public podcast, which is Backbuilders, uh, which is on all platforms, including Audible, you have the Patreon, which is 100 episodes. So altogether, I have 170 episodes that you guys can access today, and that's like 150 hours of total content. So uh, and then you guys got my Instagram, which is Monday underscore Forest, and uh, that's about all my plugs. Guys, go do all of that. This podcast was a long time coming. I sort of knew as soon as I started podcast, I'm like, yeah, the first podcast to do with Forest. That's I think this is my record for <laughs> length of a podcast as well. Um, but yeah, this um, it's been a long time coming, especially for me as a creator. And I want to, I want all of you to get. We both want all of you to get to a point where you have all of your podcasts and you have milestones in your podcast and you have milestones in your creation. So go live the solar ideal in every single decision, in every single action. And until we speak again. Good night and good storms. Thank you.